Hello, everyone. This is episode number 136 of the Classic Gaming Podcast. <laughs> I, today's date is October 22nd, 2019. I'm Robert Ring. With me is Jay Totoro. What you laughing at? Hello. I was laughing at you for being <laughs> extremely loud and then forgetting the date. I don't uh, I don't know what sentence. I even... I didn't even forget the date. I paused. It was like before I said not what the date, our sorry, the... podcast was or something. Yeah. Our podcast number. It's okay. Uh, it's just getting up there. It's so high now that it's kind of hard to understand, right? We're just... Going at it. It's hard to count that. Yeah, like when, when I see numbers that long, I don't know <laughs> what to do sometimes. Three numbers too many. Yeah, <laughs> or three digits too many. How are you doing, Jay? I'm doing all right. I'm doing, doing pretty good. I just woke up from a nap. How about you? Oh, I hate taking naps. I'm doing I do and I don't. Sometimes it's like great. Other times you feel like just a bag of shit and you're not feeling great about That's it. That's exactly but... how I feel. If I take a nap like during the day. So like every once in, like once every four months probably i'll get like super tired for whatever reason i'll be like i just yeah. can't go on if i don't take a nap but usually but like otherwise if i ever do that yeah i feel terrible when i wake up and i just feel like sluggish and like like i can't wake myself back up again you know like all the way i just i yep. hate it. it it makes me feel terrible yeah, those days where you just have to, you're just recovering a little bit. Usually, like mine happen on like a Thursday, so I just get home from work and I'll usually just sleep until like two, two or three in the morning. Then I wake up and I'm like, wow, nobody's awake, and I'm just, just gonna play games. Okay, that's that's what I'm stuck with here. That's the life. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we got some news to discuss. Not, not <laughs> yeah, necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily classic related. I guess tangentially classic related. It's- yeah, uh, I, I mean it does, but yeah. <laughs> so you remember when uh, um, Fallout when Bethesda had like the biggest fuck up of the year over Fallout this year? And oh, I blocked my memory out of that. Sorry, I don't remember that. Yeah, Fallout seventy six. You do remember it? Oh, God. and uh, everybody, you know, assumed that nothing worse could happen. No, no company could do anything worse. Uh, you know, for probably <laughs> a long time. Well. Blizzard said, "Hold my beer. We're gonna start hold my Chinese beer." Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say sake, but that's Japanese. Um, oh yeah, that's yeah, true. Hold my Chinese beer. <laughs> um, we're gonna create an in- international incident. <laughs> uh, yeah, that involved that, that senators are gonna comment on, and holy everybody else. shit! The- yeah. Okay, so if you've been living under a damn rock. Here's yeah. the here's the rundown. This was what two weeks ago about roughly yeah two, two three weeks ago. Okay, yeah. There was a Hearthstone tournament, and uh, the winner of the Hearthstone tournament uh, was a guy who goes by the name Blitzchung. Um, and he he lives in Hong Kong, correct? Um, actually, I don't know that he does. I don't know if he's from Hong Kong. I believe he is. But anyway, in my opinion, it doesn't change. No, it doesn't change anything. He said, uh, I forgot exactly what he said, but like he won the tournament and during the, you know, his victory interview, he said, uh, I don't even remember what exactly he said. He said, I think he said, liberate Hong Kong, uh, the revolution of our time or something very, very similar to that. Um, you know, referring of course to the Hong Kong protests and the Hong Kong, uh, liberation movement and China trying to just kind of crush them more or less and, and, and absorb Hong Kong. Uh, there, there's a little bit, I, I just, I want to be fair to blizzard here. There is a little bit more to what happened during the event. So it specifically what happened is after he won, 
the commentators basically set the stage for him to talk. They knew what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And so they more or less set the stage and then they physically hid under their caster desk right before he went on. He, he was also wearing a, a gas mask, obviously to support the protest or to show, to basically to support the protest. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, so it's kind of a symbol. He did do that. Yeah. And then obviously he spoke, you know, very, very vocally about it. So I just want to add that. I, I want to be very fair to Blizzard. I think there is some understanding, but very, very little. So I just want to be very fair to them. Okay. And what, a little what, bit. There. Wait, why were they hiding under their desks? They know. knew they were going to get in trouble. They knew it was well, basically they were what admitting is that? that they why? knew. That's what um, eight year olds do when you're going to get in trouble. Not even eight. That's what three yeah. year olds do. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, initially people were really upset that the the, that the commentators had been, you know, punished for what happened and everything every, along those lines. It was like, I was immediately, I was like, wow, the commentators shouldn't have been affected by it at all. And then I watched the video. I'm like, okay, I understand why they, they are, you know, they're supposed to be organizers. They're supposed to be the people who are keeping things within what Blizzard wants. But but continue. I just want to make sure that we're very fair to Blizzard here. I don't want to sound gotcha. extremely biased about it. Yeah, sure. So anyway, <laughs> Blizzard... Just brought down the fucking hammer on this guy. They uh, very quickly, too. Very, very quickly. quickly, like that night, right? Uh, um, it was within. It was in a few days, to my understanding. It was like a couple days. I th- I think it was within a day. Anyway, I could be mistaken on that, but regardless, they took away all of his prize money. They banned him from competitive play for a year, yep. and they fired and severed ties with both of the casters that you were talking about. It it was my understanding. I think the commentators were banned for six months or a year as well. Initially, like they were fired from uh, any event, uh, any event that was a part of that, uh, the Hearthstone program that that they were part of initially. And then I believe they were banned for six months or a year for, for letting that happen. I think is is what the initial punishment was. Okay. So of course, well, maybe not of course, but so blizzard, uh, you know, China is a big part of their, uh, of their market. Like it is with, yeah. with many very large companies. Uh, in particular, I believe Hearthstone specifically is a big. Uh, um, it's game more in of China. their King's own games. So they own Kings, uh, which owns Candy Crush. So mobile mobile gaming in general is massive in China. Okay. So they, I believe, they were trying to protect their mobile market. Um, I don't know that Hearthstone is like a massive proponent for them in terms of revenue, but I know that their mobile, the mobile uh, piece of them, is very very vested in the Chinese market. Gotcha. And so, you know, obviously, this pissed everybody off. And, you know, well, Blizzard pointed to their, uh, like, I don't know, code of conduct or whatever. And basically yeah, the says, rules. Like, Let's call it the rules, essentially. Yeah, it says, like, you can't make any political statements or anything like that, which is kind well, of bullshit. It's things that would damage Blizzard's image. That's what they said. Things that, The rules specifically say, like, things that would damage Blizzard's image, I think is what it, what it came out to be. So anyway, they said like they tried playing it off like it wasn't part of it wasn't because of China. It's just like, oh, that's the rules. Um, Of course, this pissed everybody off. Um, And almost everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody outside China. And uh, then how did it even unfold from there? So. It was, you know, this this just became enormous, you know, yep. among anybody who knew about it online. Everything was blowing up. All of the Blizzard, well, basically all of the Blizzard-related subreddits were just swamped with, uh, like, anti-China memes and, and content and all this kind of stuff. People tried and are still are uh, using Mei from, uh, the, the Overwatch yeah. character Mei, who 
Is she Chinese or specifically, or is she just Asian? I don't know. I don't know. So she's an Asian character. She may be Chinese. Uh, they started using her as a uh, as a symbol of the Hong Kong protesters uh, of you know the, the 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 kind of the free freeing Hong Kong movement. They're starting to use her as a symbol and create memes with her, kind of to more. It's kind of a genius thing. It's basically to force her to become like uh, related to to that whole movement. So yeah. therefore, either they essentially end up with a uh, with an with a with a pro Hong Kong symbol in that game, which is available in China. Or they have to do something drastic, like take it, take her, take that character out of the game, just because. Which is admitting fault, right? Yeah, which is admitting fault. Which and it's all just due to fans appropriating her to become that symbol, which is kind of, I thought that was kind of genius. Um, that happened. People started canceling their WoW accounts. People started deleting their Blizzard accounts. And yes. then um, one thing. You know, so I was reading about this and I was like, man, this is so fucked up. And, you know, I would definitely count myself in among the people who were super, super pissed about this. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't, I'm, you know, I haven't played, I don't play Blizzard games that much anymore. I'm going to cancel my damn account. So I went to go cancel my account. Guess what it says? You try it one time and it said, yeah, you're trying to do that too often. You got to wait and try again tomorrow or something like that. Yeah, did you hear how bad this got? So, so in order to cancel your Blizzard account, there was one of four ways to authenticate your account. So during that whole fiasco, and it could have been coincidental, but you know, to Blizzard's credit, they said it was it just happened to happen at the same time. Which, holy shit, if that's the case, that's terrible planning. <laughs> but essentially, those four normal ways that people were able to authenticate their accounts were were basically turned off. And the only way to disable your account or to delete your account was to upload a photo ID. And people were livid, yeah. especially since the whole protest or one of the big proponents of the protest in re- is in regards to like facial recognition and collecting data on people so that you can go after them after the fact. It's like it, it could not have been a worse thing for them. It, it was they shot themselves in the foot and the foot was already gone. Like it was like they were shooting a nub. Like it was just so <laughs> crazy that that happened. All And also regarding the subreddits, by the way, a lot of those subreddits were closed for a day. They were locked. Oh, yeah, yeah. The main blizzard and then online. Yeah. Yeah. The main so there's that was, too. Yeah, there's that too. Um, yeah, to Blizzard's credit on this, I want to be try to be fair, you know, as fair to them as possible. Like you said, it could be that so many people were trying to delete their accounts that the system sort of just freaked out. Um, that's it. Definitely that's could case, be a possible thing. Sad. It is. Uh, yeah, hundred um, percent. Regardless, a few days later, I tried it again and I was able to delete my account. Good. Um, Good. And then. Uh, Blizzard employees staged walkouts and they basically kind of went on strike for, for the rest of that week. And then in the meantime, Blizzard's just not, everybody's waiting for them to say something and they don't say anything until the Friday after, which I think this happened on a Sunday night. It was Um, like a, yeah, I think it was like early in the week at some point. Yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't until Friday that they finally released a statement that basically was just like a, <laughs> it was like the worst PR bullshit ever. It's yeah. like you would think if anything is gonna get a get an authentic response out of them, this would be it. Uh, but no, it was just like 
uh, our decision had nothing to do with his statement, <laughs> just because the rules say uh, it had nothing to do with with our relationship with the Chinese. It just was, uh, you know, purely the rules and that we have to abide by the rules. And hilariously, somebody, uh, I think I might have a screenshot of it here. Somebody posted a, um, yeah, uh, a, a, a statement that Blizzard's official hearth Chinese, like the Chinese arm of the company, their official and- statement came out like the day after the event. Oh, yeah. And it said, this is from Chinese Blizzard. It says, we express our strong indignation and condemnation of the events that occurred in the Hearthstone Asia Pacific competition last weekend and absolutely oppose the dissemination of personal political ideals during any events. The players involved will be banned, blah, 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 blah. Also, we will protect our national dignity. (laughs) So they're basically, they said, yeah, we're firing this motherfucker because he talked bad about China. We're going to defend our honor. And then Blizzard, then North America Blizzard, five days later said this had absolute you guys have it all wrong this had absolutely nothing to do with china this is just because uh just because the rules say you can't you know you can't talk about politics which by yeah, the way we state, oh, go ahead. you go ahead i was just gonna say it, it to point this out as well blizzard is is five percent owned by tencent which is which is a chinese based company chinese uh, excuse me tencent is vested into multiple e-sor- esports companies or excuse me uh, gaming companies so from yeah. riot which is league of legends to uh the Fortnite epic games as well so um there is that to look at as well it's only five percent whereas like i think Fortnite they own 40 percent of epic games so just another you know factor in the whole situation yeah and <clears throat> i i think I mean, well, obviously they're trying to cover their asses, but it's, it's, it's fucking ridiculous that this can be considered. This isn't even like a political statement. This is a human, this is like a human rights thing. This would be like saying Nazis suck. It's like, no, you can't talk about politics. No, no, no. That's this, this isn't politics. This is saying something that's should not be a controversial thing, you know? This isn't like say this isn't like they were they came on and said uh oh by the way I endorse Bernie Sanders for president or, or like you know something like that or, or I, I think a lot of people would take that the wrong way <laughs> I mean, right exactly so, so I mean my, my thought is I I tr- I'm trying to give Blizzard I I'm in completely in agreement with you I am very very pro Hong Kong in the whole situation I've I've done a lot of research about what's going on there and I feel like I've I like I am in where I feel comfortable based on the situation, and I feel that Blizzard is obviously they have they have a huge investment in China, and I understand from a business perspective that they have to do certain things in order to keep people keep people happy. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, it's really disappointing because for me, I look at things like this kind of like you said. I mean, this in a lot of cases, this is a human right human rights violation. This should surpass money. This should sur- surpass revenue. This should be something where people should come together and be able to understand. Now, coming from the Chinese perspective, because I did read a number of pro players who are Chinese and commentators who are Chinese. I read their opinions on it, and they were on the other side of the table. And it's interesting to see their perspective, because obviously they're very pro-China, which <clears throat> I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I know Jackie Chan. He's very pro-China, which is kind of interesting to me. Uh, there, there, there are a number of celebrities who are very pro-China. And I've read some of their statements because like, why or how? How can you justify being pro-China? And it's when you're raised in that environment, you obviously don't know, right? So you, you don't really see it from the other other perspective. And you, they also look right. at democracy as something that could overtake and destroy destroy what they have. 
So there is that piece of it as well. Um, what Blizzard did, they did the wrong thing every step of the way. They did not respond. So they, they did a very quick punishment, um, whether it was 24 hours or 48 hours. It, regardless, it's a very quick punishment. It was super extreme. So I do agree with Blizzard that something should happen to a player that goes. So if that guy went on and said, I'm endorsing Trump for 2020, Trump 2020, right. something like that, right? If he did that, people would be up in arms. They want him to get banned, right? Uh -huh. So if somebody came out on, the, on that platform and used it for that, I completely understand that a player should be punished for it. But to take their prize winnings, to ban the player, I think it was it was extreme and it was very, very quick. Now, the fun part about it is, I don't know if you know this, is in the last couple of weeks, more and more teams are coming forward and doing this on live stream. They're holding up signs that say, Boycott Blizzard, Support Hong Kong. There have been multiple teams that have been banned the last couple of weeks because they're continuing to do it. So this is not over. Blizzard is still getting shit on for it. And as we were talking about a little bit earlier, their senators have chimed in. Marco Rubio spoke about this and saying how this is completely inappropriate for a company to do this because they're more or less taking a side in a very complicated issue. And they, they're taking the wrong side, especially as a U.S.-based company. So this is getting a ton of attention. I'm very happy it's getting a lot of attention. Um, I just obviously Blizzard, I understand the circumstance they're in, but. They dug this grave and they can lie in it. I mean, they, they yeah, made a bunch exactly. of dumbass decisions one after another, after another, after another. And they've been doing that historically over the last five years. You and I have talked about this. This is not like, oh, Blizzard's been doing great. And this is just one major hiccup. It's like, no, we've had all these little burps. And then this time that's like a, a huge hiccup into a vomit. Like it was just a slap in the face. Every day I was just like, all right, let's refresh and see what dumbass thing they did in regards to the situation. Mm -hmm, yep. So, and this is also, there's a parallel situation that's going on is what's going on in the NBA. So there was a coach um, who came out advocating on behalf of, uh, uh, advocating on behalf of Hong Kong. Um, shortly after China, the Chinese government contacted the NBA, uh, Adam Silver, I think is the commissioner of the NBA, and they basically told him he needs to go. They, 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 so immediately, mm -hmm. I, I, excuse me, immediately, he, I believe he deleted the tweet. He apologized for the tweet. And then um, he was getting pressure from all different sides. Uh, but what, what's interesting is Adam Silver, the gentleman who's the commissioner of the NBA, initially when this was all going on, he said, no, I do not want to silence the people who work for the NBA. They are welcome to voice what they want. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird because this guy seems like he's terrified and doing all these things that makes it seem like they're being censored. But then this guy is saying that it's okay. It's kind of weird, right? So it didn't make sense. And then the Chinese government stepped forward and said, that guy needs to be punished for what happened. And Adam Silver came out again, I think this week or last week, and said, under no circumstances are we going to punish him. So it nice. does seem like the NBA is in support of this. I want to see more of it. You Talk is cheap, so I want to see action on right. it. But at the same time, I'm sure you've seen all the boycotting going on with LeBron James. LeBron yeah. James, obviously a world-renowned billionaire, successful basketball player. Um, he came out, and I want to read his thing because I don't want to be uh, unfair to him because... Uh, sorry. Uh, I I don't. I read the tweet a few times, and I read what what dumbass thing he said afterwards. But he basically, uh, and my understanding is, let's see, hold on, I want to find it. <clears throat> oh, he he said that Daryl Morier, uh, who is the gentleman who is a part of the team who spoke out, should be reprimanded for his tweet, and obviously that that makes it seem like you are. China. And then he came out later on and said something along the lines of not everybody should have an opinion on everything or something like that. And it's like, then why say something? It, it, it's right. just a really stupid thing to say in a very volatile situation. And I'm sure you saw people were like burning his jerseys and shoes in mm -hmm. Hong Kong in protest about it. And it, it's it's great. I'm really happy that that people are not silenced about 
silent about this. They're very vocal because uh, obviously this is a big, big, it's a major issue. This is a, a massive, this should be a global scale issue. So I'm glad that it's not just Blizzard that's getting shit on for doing stupid things in regards to this. We see the NBA is having a very similar thing, which for those who don't know, China has more basketball plans or, or excuse me, has comparable basketball fans to the number of people in the United States. Basketball is massive in China. So for them to even say what they've said so far, again, I don't necessarily believe it all <clears throat> until I see some action, uh, is very brave. I mean, in all seriousness, that's a freaking crazy risk to take in such a massive market for them. So I don't think this issue is going to go away anytime soon. I don't think Blizzard's going to come out of this unscathed whatsoever. Uh, they have BlizzCon in two weeks. Oh, weeks. right. I forgot, about, I forgot to mention that. Right. <laughs> so people, people are going to the event dressed as Winnie the Pooh. And for those who don't know, Winnie the Pooh, uh, Xi Jinping, who is the president, dictator, whatever the fuck you want to call him, of China, he was compared to Winnie the Pooh num numerous times, and he hates it. He despises it. It's actually banned from the internet. Yeah, you you're actually not allowed cannot, to do that. Yeah, you can't China. do that. So people are going to go to BlizzCon dressed as Winnie the Pooh, which, if people don't know, you can cosplay at BlizzCon. So Blizzard's <laughs> going to have to deal with that. And I guarantee you, people are going to get their day of and be told that they're not allowed to go in or some some crazy stuff because Blizzard's going to, they're not going to respond to this as well. They're going to do the stupidest thing possible. And realistically, I mean, what can they do? They should just deal with it. I mean, it, it's it's cosplaying, right? You can dress up as long as it's appropriate and you're not naked or something like that. There should be no issue with how people are dressed up. And people imagine if they the and imagine if they announced that you're not going to allow to dress up as Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Actually, let me Google. I did hear something about that, but I didn't see it confirmed. I'm going to Google this real quick. You heard you you heard what? I heard that uh, Blizzard was going to ban it, but I it was somebody who um, knows things ahead of time, and I haven't seen any post about it, so I want to see if, if anything's come out about it. Somebody told me that they were going to put up, they were going to announce that they were not going to allow it there, but... Like, any cosplay whatsoever, or just Winnie the Pooh? Just Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I'm being serious. <laughs> that, that would be fucking hilarious. They would get Wait, even see. worse shit on them. Uh, while you're looking at that, I want to <laughs> also... Uh, point out that the letter that you point out that that you mentioned from mark rubio that not only was that from senator mark rubio but it was the letter was co-penned along with alexandria ocasio cortez who's a democrat who is, is in the house of representatives mark rubio you probably know our american listeners probably know is a is a republican senator uh they probably hate each other uh but i would say they hate each other they're on different sides of the aisle very um yeah and as well as uh, one, uh, there was like another senator and two more uh, members of uh, the House of Representatives. Um, this is, and like, the reason you're bringing together, a, oh, you're, you're you're bringing people across the aisle to come chastise you together, like you fucked up, Blizzard. Yeah, and, and the, for those who don't understand why this is such a big deal, is this sets precedence, right? So if we allow China, who is obviously a superpower in the world, if we allow them to bully us in these, we'll consider them small markets in a global scale. It, it just sets a bad precedence for the future. If we allow them to dictate right, yeah. what we're doing, oh, yeah. why, are we a, why are we a democracy? Why do we consider to be a free country if we're being bullied by a country that, let's be honest here, has a dictator? I mean, Xi Jinping yeah. put a law in place that allows him to be president for life. Yep. I mean, that is not a, a normal thing to do by a sane person. So if, for those of you, I, I apologize if people have different opinions about the topic, but I'm very, very passionate about this topic. Don't I apologize. 
I, I like if people have different opinions. I don't want to offend people, especially since this is our classic gaming podcast. But um, it is a big deal, and if if, you, if people don't understand it, I suggest you research because this is something that could ultimately impact us in the future. I mean, this could dictate laws, right? This is yeah. something that that really could have a large impact down the down the line. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm going to continue to follow this. Um, Blizzard is just doing dirty, dirty work this year. It's insane how much dumb shit they're doing, and they just continue. <laughs> It's freaking insane. BlizzCon, I, I mean, BlizzCon could be a moment where they could get a reprieve and do something really intelligent. Apparently, they're going to announce Diablo 4. They're going to announce a remaster of Diablo 2 is what's rumored. Um, they're going to announce potentially a new IP. So they have some new opportunities. Also, Overwatch PvE, which is the replacement for Destiny, is supposed to be announced. Um, there's there's rumors that they're going to announce potentially a new RTS, uh, something away from StarCraft. Uh, they should give us the release dates for Warcraft. They're going to give us their plans for, for Vanilla WoW. So th- they have a lot of a lot of stuff going on with their products, which is great because they've had absolutely nothing for a very long time. So it's exciting in that regard. But if Blizzard continues to do the business that they're doing right now, I sure as hell am not going to support them. And I'm, I know a lot of people who haven't. I, I, close friends of mine have all deleted, not all, a good number of them have deleted their accounts entirely. Yep. So um, this is not like a, one, of those, one of those things where people are upset for a week and five people deleted their accounts. If Blizzard's system was unable to comprehend the number of, of accounts getting deleted, you know something was going on. So... Uh, I think they're gonna hit pretty hard, and it's unfortunate because what it means, what I think it's gonna turn into, is Blizzard's going to become uh, a a Chinese-dominated market in terms of gaming, which means their games are gonna become even more geared around mobile market, which is the exact opposite of what myself and I'm sure a lot of Blizzard fans want. So um, this is really sad. This is one of the you know the long long-standing was a great developer, um, more or less just losing its soul in in the simplest form. Yeah, pretty well put. Then go fuck off. Yep. I um, I, I guess that's pretty much it about them. Uh, I just think it is going to be hilarious to see how BlizzCon. Yeah, what if you were, with them. What if you were somebody doing a panel at BlizzCon? Well, it, 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 here's the problem with this: it's live streamed. So anybody who buys the virtual chicken who lives in China, they're going to be watching on their monitor as there's multiple Winnie the Poohs walking in the background. Certainly, they're so, going to have a delay on it, right? I mean, but what can they do? I mean, it, it's. Good luck. I mean, imagine if a lot of people go there dressed as Winnie the Pooh with <laughs> China written on their chest. I mean, right. seriously, like, yeah. what do they do? They're completely screwed. So this is interesting. I mean, they're they're in really muddy territory and bare feet. They have to they have to deal with this. And good luck. I mean, they. If I were them, uh, this is where you take the silver bullet. I don't know what you do in this circumstance because they they have two very difficult decisions to make, and we we probably know which one they're going to do. So yeah, um, if they do announce they're banning the costumes. Oof. And if they don't announce it but start banning people day of, oof. And if they yep. do try to edit the live stream during, <laughs> oof. Good luck. Because you know, any player who is from Hong Kong or in support of Hong Kong, you know is going to be wearing either a Winnie the Pooh t-shirt or a Winnie the Pooh uh, jumper or something in order to advocate on the map. So, yep. Um, yep. I mean, yeah. It's. I would also just like to, one last thing, point out that it took Blizzard China like less than a day to release yeah. an announcement saying, yeah, he should have been banned. It took, uh, it took blizzard themselves uh, a week to come up with a completely entire bullshit response. And uh, again, and with them less than a day to enact the punishment in the first place. Then it took, you know, almost a week for them to come up with the most worst PR response ever penned in video game history. Oh yeah, uh, like it, it seemed like they, they didn't realize how. Yeah, it almost made it seem like they uh, 
they weren't paying attention to the issue. Like they, they didn't understand the, the scale of it, which is insane because at that point it was all over the news. Like if you Google Hearthstone player right now, the first thing that comes up is that article or is those articles related to it. Yeah. Like that, I, that's, that's how crazy it is. My best guess is they were just, uh, like, I guess confident enough or dumb enough to think people are going to read, we're going to read that quote, or ex- not even apology explanation and be like you know what i can really see blizzard's side of this now no fuck off yeah i, I think so too i think they were trying to play middleman and they failed horribly because there is no middleman right you have to pick a side here if you, yeah. if you try to play both sides you get burned yeah so, i think we've talked about this enough i think, I think so forward. too all right Anyways. uh on to classic gaming i only have one classic gaming thing i do have i do have uh Another non-classic thing to talk about, but real quick, let's go into classic stuff. You know, the Internet Archive, uh, where you can, you know, they have a DOS collection there, and you can play in browser, like, hundreds of DOS games. Uh, They just released 2,500 more DOS games on the Internet Archive. So there's a shitload of DOS games that you can play in the browser if you want to. It's at archive.org if you want to do that. Back once again to non-classic news. <laughs> um, <laughs> the PlayStation 5 uh, release date has been... Well, not release date, but it has been announced that the PlayStation... So Sony announced that the PlayStation 5 will be released hol- holiday season of 2020. So, roughly a year from now. Cool. What, what you think? How you think? How you feeling about it? Um, I, I, I guess you don't care too much. Any, yeah, I don't care too much. I'm sorry. I'm not really big on new consoles. Uh, kind of what Robert and I were talking about earlier is... Uh, we assume that Final Fantasy VII is probably going to bleed into the new system because I believe it's announced for the PS4, but um, as we've seen, there's going to be multiple installments of it. So there's a good chance it's going to bleed over into the fifth one, which kind of sucks because it means you have to buy the newer console in order to play all however many pieces they ultimately release of it. Yeah, so we'll see. And yeah, I'm not uh, super you know, excited about this either. I have a PS4, but it's... Well, actually, it's my daughter's. My daughter has a PlayStation 4. I never had one for myself. And on the PlayStations, I have owned every one, but I've always bought them pretty late in the cycle. Like PS3, I bought two or three years after it came out. And I bought it for a specific reason. I don't remember why, but there's like something specific that I wanted it for. PlayStation 4, I, I may... I don't even, I still don't even know if I would have actually bought one by now. I may have bought one by now, but maybe not actually. With Death Stranding coming out, that that might be the thing that would have pushed me over if I didn't have one in the house yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I probably wouldn't have had one of those yet either. Switch is a little different situation, I think, for both of us. I agree. We, we were both excited about that. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm just, for me, it's kind of like 99% of what I play is either Switch or PC. Or I'm or right or like a classic console. <clears throat> so um yeah so I mean this is cool for me personally and for you personally it sounds like you know we'll probably at least be holding off a little while you probably yeah. longer than <clears throat> me. Um, Depends what they say. I mean if they say that they'll make all the versions for PS4, I'll buy one when they go super sale. I don't mm-hmm. care about new console. I'm, it's nothing against new consoles. I don't. I don't want to say. I think oh, there's right. a lot of really great games that have come out in the last ten years or five years that are great. Um, but I just just doesn't interest me in the same way it does for a lot of people so yeah so it's coming out holiday season 2020 a couple of the key points it's going to have uh ray tracing acceleration in the hardware 
It's going to have a uh, solid state drive instead of a hard drive disk. Wow. That's impressive, actually. I mean, it's been obviously our PCs have had those for a number of years, but that's still really impressive. I mean, that's a substantial improvement on hardware. Yeah, it is. Um, so a lot of our, I, I think our, I feel like our listeners are, are fairly sophisticated when it comes to this kind of stuff. But if you don't know the difference, basically, uh, solid state drives are a lot faster. Yeah, um, it's estimated what like ten, ten times as fast, if I'm not mistaken. Like the, the I wouldn't be surprised at all. I, yeah. I don't know the numbers on that, but with a hard drive disc, it's almost kind of like a vinyl record where you have a needle, uh, like on a much, much, much like on a microscopic scale. But basically, you have a needle that has to read parts of the disc, and it jumps around really quick to read parts of the disc as it's spinning around. With a solid state drive, it's just a solid thing. It's just a chip. Yeah, it's just a chip. And it's it a just chip inside of a casing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, not any spinning moving parts that it has to move around and check. It just kind of gets stuff. Um, That's a good point. You know, I was reading something really interesting. Uh, might have been today about this, which is the solid state drive with them using that. Uh, you know, the big thing is it makes it faster, but it mm-hmm. also saves a lot of space on storage. And weight. Oh, sorry. I was talking about physical weight. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, that's you probably. But with storage, because what developers would do is they would, because you have to wait for the needle, you know, to move around. Of course, we're talking milliseconds here, but it adds up over time when you're loading shit. Um, Because of the, you know, slightly, you know, because of the little tiny bits of time that it takes to find stuff and load stuff, what they would do is a lot of the assets they would put in multiple places in memory. And oh, basically, so the needle would have a quicker place to jump to. So it can jump to a faster, you know, to, you know, if it has a ton of different places to choose from, it can go to the, to the, you know, to the closest one and save time as opposed to going to, you know, one spot where it is. And on some of the bigger games, it said that they might have asset, like very basic assets in the game, like a lamp or something, in 400 different spots in memory. Yeah. Just I've heard people, things like that before. That's interesting. It makes perfect sense. I had never heard of that before, but yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense that they, that they would do that. So, uh, so this, you know, theoretically could help with, uh, install size as well. They're also going to, also related to install size. They're going to give you more control over installation. So instead of just installing a game, you will theoretically be able to install, like just the multiplayer aspect of a game or, cool. or just the campaign. So you don't have to use up all the space, you know, if there's parts of the game that you're not going to be playing. Very smart. And then a couple other things uh, related to the controller, the controller is going to, are going to, they're moving away from rumble and they're going to have haptic feedback, which is kind of like basically kind of like the HD rumble sort of like switch has uh, just very, just more precise and kind of more, you can have different kind of different types of rumbles. Uh, and then it's going to have, uh, this is, this sounded interesting. It's going to have adaptive triggers, w- what they're calling it, which is basically if you're pulling one of the trigger buttons, they can, uh, program it to where it applies pressure back. Like it, it, it Oh, resistance. It, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It applies resistance. So it might be harder to pull it. If you're if the, the example they used was like, if you're shooting a bow and arrow, they might make it harder to pull back. Uh, kind of cool, or something like that. So yeah, that's that's kind of cool. That's so, very uh, cool. Uh, it's getting closer and closer to VR. <laughs> yeah. So if that's you good. are uh, into modern consoles, 
you're probably at least vaguely interested in the PS5. And uh, so that's coming out to uh, holiday 2020. Sounds sounds pretty good. Uh, cool. One last thing. I'll just say this really quick. I know we are kind of moving oh, slowly here. But I, I got to bring this up since we talked about the KFC game. Um, and oh, this no. isn't even a video game, but now Wendy's is in the boat. They've of course they are. released a <laughs> basically a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. No, uh, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see this here. No. Uh, it's called Feast of Legends. Don't tell our group or they'll want to stop our campaign. And play. <laughs> I'm warning you. I've um, warned you. I don't know if it uses specifically D&D rules, but it's, but it's that type of game. You can go to feastoflegends.com and there you can just download the PDF from there. And I guess it's got all the rules and like character sheets and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it says, The Nation of Fresh Tovia has been the lone beacon of hope in the land of beef's keep for decades. However, the ice jester and his rogues gallery of frozen fiends threaten Queen Wendy's reign of prosperity. Prepare your heroes for adventure. <laughs> like, my understanding is it's about you're trying to save the world from from frozen food or something like that. That's pretty funny. That's really funny marketing, actually. Yeah. So, uh, that's... Funny, ridiculous, also kind of neat, I think. Uh, so, yeah, so there it is. Okay. Jay, do you have anything else, any news uh, things to add, or is, is that all we got? I think that's all we got. All right. Um, you mind going first this time? No, I was actually going to suggest that you've been talking for many minutes. Great. So. All right, what you been playing? I have been playing a Konami game from 1997 for the PlayStation 1 called Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So, yeah, this is obviously a very, very well-renowned game. Um, This is a very famous game. Uh, People talk about it nonstop for the the Vania aspect of it, for being a platform, for just being an overall incredible game. Um, And... After playing it, it is it still holds up well. It is still an incredible game, and there's a million good things to say about it and only a few bad things. So uh, for those who don't know about this game, uh, this is the... I actually don't know which number it is in the series. I know this is the sequel to... Uh, yeah, I was going to say. Um, it's the direct sequel to Castlevania Rondo of Blood, um, which it follows the, the same story. It's like four years after the ending of the prior game, um, where in this one you're playing as Dracula's son, Alucard, and you're basically re- revisiting the castle for a specific reason. It ties to the story. Um, the story is it's it's very light at the beginning. They they give you a nice introduction. There's voice acting for it. The characters look pretty cool because essentially you get the Final Fantasy Tactics esque where the windows pop up and you get a picture of the character and then their dialogue. So you get an idea of what the character looks like in greater detail because obviously it's a PlayStation One game. So the the details are really cool. It's 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 very I don't know how to describe it, but it's just a, a unique art style. Um, it just kind of draws you in. So essentially you start the game um, and you're playing this very powerful character that ultimately get, you, you switch characters, but at the very beginning, it's kind of cool to see all the different mechanics that a character can have. And then you ultimately switch to a different character who loses everything that they have and you slowly start picking it up. And as I talked about initially, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, a Vania type game. So you are getting more powerful over time, which allows you to open up further access to this castle. Um, and you're going to be, you know, going back into oh, sorry, don't my phone um, you're gonna go back into areas you've already cleared so that you can progress a different direction than you would um, initially so that, that's kind of the, the quick overview of this um, but 
there is so much more to this game. So the art style is fantastic. It is. I don't even know how to describe. It. Like, how how would you describe this type of art style? I, I'm not. Familiar. I haven't. I don't know what this one looks like. Castlevania. Which one is it? Oh, Symphony of the Night. Uh, it is Symphony of the Night. Yeah. I'm, I don't even know how you would describe this. Why, why I, look I don't up keep all, up but... with them that that well. So uh, I don't know specifically what this one looks like. I'll pull it up though. I'll tell people to Google it. That's that's what I do. Google it. Google no, it like we are. Oh, it's got it's very, it's a it's like a two D sprite based. Uh, yeah, I guess game. that's a pretty good way to put it. It's very it, Super Nintendo ish. Yeah, that, that's actually kind of a good way to put it as well. I, I initially thought I was like, oh, this. I actually had that thought when I was initially playing it. So that's kind of funny. Um, so so what makes this game so great is, is a few things. First, the music's incredible. The music is, it, there's enough tracks of it throughout the castle so far that I've been um, that gives you a unique experience. And it does a great job of setting the tempo or the mood of the area you're in. So in areas where you might be in danger or you're progressing to something further, the music kind of speeds up the tempo and tries to get your heart racing. And then in more dramatic elements, after you know you get stripped of all your power, the music changes and slows down a little bit and gets a little more dramatic and serious. The music is incredible. It is actually really, really good soundtracks. It's one of those those ones that you will catch yourself humming or you'll you'll hear it in your head the following day after playing in a good way. It's not those really annoying, you know, seven or <laughs> eight note tracks in certain games that just repeat and repeat and repeat. No, they're well thought out tracks. They're very lengthy and the music's just incredible. So that's all I'm going to say about the music. Right. Uh, what makes this game so wonderful is the gameplay. The gameplay is extremely smooth. There is a, a massive variety in what you can do with your character uh, that makes it just exciting throughout, throughout the entire thing. So this is a platform game. So obviously it's a side-scrolling platform game. Um, so your character has a bunch of different moves that involve different items you can get. So your character sheet, you can have um, an item in your left, your right hand. You can have a helmet, you can have a ring, chest, you know, you get you can have armor in addition to having weapons. But for the weapons, you could use something like a one-hander, like a one-handed sword and a shield, um, which enables you to block. You could use two one-handed weapons, you could use a two-handed weapon. So far, the most successful thing I've had is be is using a, a sword and shield because the block mechanic's really nice for the most part, because you can block a lot of different abilities that actually prevent damage. So you have a couple of uh, meters that go along with your uh, your stat sheet in terms of like armor. Uh, so you have basic stats, which is uh, attack, defense, uh, which obviously amplifies your overall damage and prevents you or reduces damage you take as well. You have a life bar, which is just a set number, and then you also have a a, a meter that is hearts. And oddly enough, the hearts are not health. The hearts are All more right. or less your mana, right? That's how so it is in in like the original one and. Uh... Yeah, uh, it, it it took me a little while to remember because I was like, "Why am I dying?" I, I was like, "I'm grabbing these hearts." I've got a million I'm, hearts. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I I, got, I keep getting all these big hearts, and I'm I keep seeing the number go up, but I'm not taking heart damage. I'm taking this other. Number. I'm like, oh, "Okay, I just misunderstood it." And so, what the hearts enable you to do? They enable you to use uh, certain spells that you get throughout the game. But on top of that, they allow you to use these special item slots. I'll call them. So throughout the castle, um, as you're destroying objects or killing monsters. You're given an item that gives you a secondary ability. So if you get a dagger, it allows you to throw daggers. And you're allowed to throw one for every heart that you have until you deplete that. You can get throwing axes, which do an arc. They sort of lob. Uh, they use a certain amount of hearts until you run out. Uh, there's one that is holy water where you throw it on the ground and it creates this blue fire that does much damage. Uh, there's one that does this very interesting thing. It's like a prism and you shine it at the ground and it creates this, this direct line that hits the ground. It ricochets off the ground, hits the ceiling, ricochets off the ceiling, and it does that pattern. And it uses a bunch of, uh, a bunch of the hearts you have, but it can hit mobs and obviously destroy them along the way. 
there's one that is a, is a clock that stops time, which is pretty interesting. Uh, for me, I, I primarily use the daggers, and the reason is they're very predictable. They're easy to land because they just go uh, horizontal you know, right across the screen. They move very quick, and they only use one heart, whereas like the clock might use like 15 or 20. And you have a cap anywhere from like 60 to 80, I think. Um, and as you level up, your capacity for the, the we'll say for ammo, goes up. Um, that's another piece. So as you're clearing through the castle, you can farm rooms repeatedly. There's no downside to it. And as you level, your character becomes stronger. Your stats go up, uh, your health pool goes up, and your your um, your ammo or your hearts goes up as well. So there is encouragement to grind um, w throughout the castle, and you can farm rooms. And this is one of the fun things about this game is you can farm enemies. And it just feels really cool because you have these, these dash mechanics. So the game's very fast-paced, but you can do things to avoid taking damage. So you can dash across the screen or, or do these like short dashes across the, across the screen. You can quickly turn around and block an attack and then you know smash an enemy to your left and then block the guy to the right and then smash the guy to your right. And it, it can be very fast paced. Uh, early, obviously early on, and depending on how much armor you have, you take less damage, which is great because you, know, you don't want to die. So that's, that's kind of the overview of the character, but the actual movements is what makes this game so smooth. So obviously you can move left to right, you can do jump attacks, you can jump and do your throwing weapon, like the knife I talked about, so you can jump in the air and throw it at somebody. Um, you can do like a downwards attack. And then the triangle button, uh, sorry, the, I guess it's triangle for me, but one of, the, one of the inputs you can do, your character does almost like a parry, he dashes backwards. So if an enemy, if you're fighting an enemy, you can like block their attack, but if they go to do a power swing, it's going to negate your block. So you can parry it, you can jump backwards and then start beating them up and, and knock them down. And again, this is a very, very fast paced game. This is not a game you anticipate to make this. This is one of those games where you feel like, almost like, um, Shen, uh, not Shenmue, geez. What's the, the really hard NES game, the Shen ninja based one? Uh, Shinobi, is it called Shinobi? Uh, no, Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden. So, you know, Ninja Gaiden's like, there's all these monsters, generally they're one hittable. You're just trying to avoid everything and, and work yeah, your way yeah. through it. This game's not that punishing. It feels way more balanced. It's It still is very oh, fast-paced, and you can get bullied into the ground. You can die very easily if you do stupid things. But it feels way, way more balanced. It feels like you're in much more control of what's going on. And it just feels better. And that's kind of a, a cheesy way to put it, but it just feels a lot more fun for the player. That, that's probably the appropriate word. It's just more fun overall. And so the parry mechanic, what's cool about it is it, you jump backwards. So if you're facing to the left, you jump to the right. If you're facing the right, you jump to the left. So if you're cruising through rooms, and again, this is a Vania game, so obviously think of Metroid. So some of the maps are very large, so you're trying to get through them very quickly. Um, you can dash your way across the map. Now you can hit enemies and you can take damage. Uh, but you can also dash, 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 and then quickly turn to the right, smash an enemy, turn to the left, and then dash, 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 dash. And this, it's a very fun mechanic, especially for bosses, because the bosses obviously have some more powerful attacks. They have more complicated mechanics. Oddly enough, some of the bosses have some pretty damn complicated mechanics, and these parry mechanics, the block mechanics, uh, heavily heavily come into play. Before I go to the bosses, though, so because this is a Vania-type game, there's a shit ton of secrets. So every room you're in, you're generally looking around for different things. You can smash certain walls. You can work your way into uh, little areas that you didn't think you could do so. You can get bonus items. Um, and you can also, on top of all the armor and weapons you can carry, you can also carry food, which heals you. So the, the shitty part about it, this is one of the only real complaints I have about this, is when you want to heal to an, uh, using an item, to my knowledge, I may be wrong about this, there may be an alternative way to do this, but uh, when you want to heal yourself using an item, you have to go into your menu, equip it, and then use it. Your character drops it, and then you have to pick it up in order to heal. It's kind of annoying, and especially in a shitty situation where you're very low. Wait, say don't... that again? So, so essentially, you go into your menu, you go to your um, one of your hands, one of your two uh, availability, the slots of, of your left or right hand, you equip the food to your hand, and then you go back out of the menu, you hit the act command with that, with that weapon, and your character drops the turkey, which then you can pick up to heal. 
That's my that's understanding of how to do it. Oh, okay. So, oh, that's kind of weird. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you can use it directly from the menu. I could be wrong about that, huh. but I couldn't find an input to do it. So, wow. I will say that is the only thing that really, in all seriousness, of all the things I have to say in complaints, that's it. That's the only one that actually I feel like has any standing um, in terms of just kind of overall frustration. I will say it's comical because when you do it, the turkey drops and the turkey's like half the size of your character. Pretty damn funny. <laughs> like, oh, um, oops, drop my yeah. enormous oh, I turkey. Oh, turkey that heals me for a shit ton. <laughs> um, so that can, that can be kind of frustrating. So yeah, back to the thing about secrets. There are secrets everywhere and there's obviously a lot of backtracking involved. You obtain certain items that enable you to open certain doors. So you have to backtrack your way through the castle and then open up and progress through it. Now, they're also you also obtain gold throughout the game. We're going to mention this. You also obtain currency, which can be used at certain shops to buy items. In certain cases, you can buy keys that are key-like items, rather, uh, that enable you to open further prog progression into uh, the castle. So... Uh, the overall feeling game is great. It's very, it's very dark. Obviously, it's Castlevania. The music sets the tone. The art is great. It supports it very, very well. The monsters are very unique. They have uh, a lot of different mechanics. Not, not a lot of different mechanics. There, there's some rinse repeat ones, but uh, they have some pretty cool mechanics to them. And once you get them down, overall, they're not too bad. The bosses, however, are a little bit more fun. So the first boss is very, very easy, generally. Um, it just requires some some basic dodging and then counterattacking, et cetera, et cetera. The second boss, however, that I fought um, is more or less a clone of Alucard. So you are essentially fighting yourself. So they have a sword, they have a shield, they have a throwing weapon, uh, they have power attacks just like you. And it's it's kind of like a training dummy, but they're pretty damn smart and they act accordingly. So they will sit there, if you're far away from them, they'll sit there and just throw daggers at you and just keep pelting you with daggers. And it's like, holy shit, this is really frustrating. I want to do this back. And then you do it and they block them or they jump out of the way and you're like, why didn't I do that? Like this guy's outplaying me playing this character mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's a it's a pretty fun fight it was actually pretty challenging the first i actually had to redo i'll explain in a few minutes but i had to redo the beginning a few times for some frustrating issues but i had to do this boss a few times and i had fun with it the last time but the first time i consumed almost all my healing items because i was just getting destroyed i was like okay i'll just stay in melee range and then i'll just kind of box with them i'll just trade blows with them he's kicking my ass i'm like okay okay i'll back up i'll play very defensive i'll block some of his attacks and then i'll try and move him for some kills I'm blocking, and he does this power kick. He kicks me. It hits me for probably 10 or 10 to 15% of my health. It launches me across the screen, smashes me into the wall, and does another 10 to 15% of my health. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Okay, that doesn't work. So I ultimately found the groove of it, and I actually learned some, some moves from him because I was like, how do you do that? So I went into the menu and looked around a little bit to understand how he was doing some of these abilities. I felt really bad. I felt really shitty because I'm like, wow, the AI is destroying me. And this is only the second boss in the game. So uh, it was really fun. So the boss, was, uh, the second boss was really fun. I haven't gotten to the third boss yet. I'm clearing my way through it. The reason I haven't gotten as far as I want to, which I'm like, an, I'm a couple hours in, I think, because I've full cleared everything. I went back and swept the castle a few times after I've unlocked further keys. So uh, I imagine if you do a, a straight playthrough, you could be much further than I am. But I wanted to obviously explore and get as many secrets as possible. Uh, but I had to do a couple of, of uh, restarts because my file kept getting corrupted. And I couldn't figure out why, but I did figure it, find a solution for it. So I kept going to, when I, when you zone in and out of rooms, obviously it goes to like a temporary screen prior to it loading into the news. What kept happening is it was freezing. Right, you, 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 sorry, you sort of lagged out for a second. Uh, what was the last thing you heard? Uh, something about going to a weird screen. Oh yeah. So when you zone in and out of rooms, you go to a sort of loading screen. It's like a black screen for just a moment. Okay. And what, what kept happening is the game would lock up, and I couldn't get it to unfreeze. So uh, I, there, uh, what I did find, and for anybody who uses emulators, there's always this debug section that I've never really found, understood how to use. 
Well, it works. It works really, really well. After replaying the game three freaking times uh, of getting so actually very similar, the same part, I kept having the same same lockup. Uh, if you go, if anybody uses emulators, there's a debug section. Mess around with it. I spent like an hour messing with it, and there is a way to basically force the game to skip a couple frames. I guess is my understanding of it, hmm. and it actually bypassed the the blockage, and oh, I was weird. able to continue the game. I've had to do it a few times on my playthrough, but hey, if I get to keep my file and it doesn't prevent me from progressing, I'm all about it. That, so. That's probably an emulator thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing for anybody who uses emulators. This oh, okay. Only, only emulators. Yeah, no worries. Um, the game also, the game tracks your game time, how much you played, how many rooms you've explored, how much gold you've accumulated, how many mobs you've killed. Uh, when you kill a mob too, the game, your, your character more or less gets like this rainbow-esque outline around them and it does like a freeze frame. And it's pretty dope because usually when you kill a boss, you level up because there's just so much experience. The game kind of does like this freeze frame and it's it's a really dope visual. And it, it's kind of fun sometimes when you're fighting a bunch of mobs and it happens because you get like this locked up moment where you see your character just being completely surrounded by mobs, uh, which is kind of dope. <laughs> um, you can easily re, uh, re-keep bind your abilities so you can go to the menu and just re-keep bind anything you want to which is great I mean usually older games you're like oh shit I have to deal with this for me using an emulator obviously it's generally not as much of an issue but it's pretty dope to just be able to go to the menu and just kind of switch keybinds around and just mess with it till you get uh, to to a status where it's kind of comfortable for you which is pretty pretty cool gotcha um I think that's yeah. That's everything I have in my notes. I'm trying to think, there's anything else I, I missed with this. Th- this game is exceptional. This game holds up incredibly well. Um, the amount I, I rented this game a number of times as a child. Um, I rented a few of the Castlevania games, the ones for the N64. I played a few times. This one I played a few times. This is an incredible game. This game holds up very very well. It holds up to the hype extremely well, uh, which is great to hear. Because you know, sometimes we, we talk about this often, but with, with classic games, sometimes when you play a game that's really hyped or something that in your mind is really hyped and you go back and play it and it's not that good it's really disappointing this one holds up really well this is a, a great game um for anybody who hasn't played this game and likes the vania s games i would highly encourage you to do it the storyline seems pretty straightforward it's very simple um but also in depth and there's character voicing too which is, which is kind of cool because you know this is an older game the voice acting is not amazing um it's the voice acting itself isn't terrible but the sound quality that's associated with the voice oh, acting okay. is a little rough so it kind of takes away from the overall quality of it right um, I think that's everything. This is a really great game. I, I highly encourage people to, to try this. Oh yeah, how how many hours have you put into it so far? More than ten now, but again, I've done a couple wow. playthroughs. Yeah, I, I had to do a couple playthroughs because of the issue I was having. But I think my actual main file now, I think I'm like three and a half hours in. Um, I depending on how much, as long as I don't have any more major issues, I'm probably going to continue to play this until I beat it. Cool. Uh, it just depends on on how much more I enjoy it. But it's a fun game, and I really like. Um, for one of the things I forgot to mention too is there's jumping puzzles in it as well, which helps to it creates a variety, right? Because you're you're grinding mobs, you're getting items, you're getting stronger. But there's also these really simple puzzles. They're not overly complex. They're complex enough to keep you interested. So, and in a lot of cases, the jumping puzzles will give you extra items you wouldn't have otherwise. So the game has enough variety to it to where it keeps you interested. It's not just a hack and slash. Every time you beat a level, you're like, yeah, yeah I beat the level. It's just a, a, a seamless playthrough of exploring this castle and seeing all this cool stuff. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really fun game. Damn, sounds 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 good. I, I don't think it sounds like something that I would be interested in, especially, well, particularly, not right now. I haven't been really into the Metroidvanias lately, gotcha. but uh, it sounds like for that type of game, it's pretty killer. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's it's rec- I, I believe it's recognized as one of the, the best or better uh, Vania type games, so. Hell yeah. Okay, cool. Is that it for you? Yeah. That's it. Uh, all right. I've got a, a few games to talk about here. Uh, one main one and two smaller ones. 
start off with the main one. Uh, the main one that I played is Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, which came out in 2001 oh, wow. for Game Boy I didn't Advance. realize that was a classic game. Yep, 2001. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so I was playing the trilogy version that they uh, released for Switch. It has updated graphics. As far as I understand, that's the only difference. Um, and so, yeah, so the gameplay should be entirely the same. And, and even the graphics, like, the, it's not, like, drastically different. It's just the original one, you know, is pretty cartoony and also pixely. And this one's cartoony and just not pixely. Uh, so, Phoenix Wright. So, the gameplay for this game is you are uh, Phoenix Wright. You're an, att- you're an ace attorney. You, specifically, you are a defense attorney. And you, throughout the game, you take on several different cases Every time, every, each case is kind of like a chapter of the game. And, uh, you, so you get, so you take on a case, you hear the backstory of it, you go, you do some investigating, you kind of go around to different locations, investigating what happened and talking to people and looking at stuff. And you, then you go to court where obviously the trial takes place and you, and you take part in the trial. You, uh, object to things, you question, um, (laughs) Uh, witnesses and ask them things and point out, try to try to find inconsistencies in the other side's story. Um, and sometimes, sometimes you will then have kind of a break in between uh, trial days where you'll go out and do more investigating and then come back and do um, more trial stuff for the same case. Um, and, that, and that's the general gameplay loop. Investigate, go to trial. So, as far as the investigation part of the game goes, at first I was fine with this, but it eventually got pretty boring to me. What you're doing is you're you're basically like through kind of a little menu system, a thing pops up and you and you choose which location you go to. You just select the place you want to go to, and then you pop there and you examine things at that location, and then you can move into around to different areas within that that location. So. One of them, for instance, is at a uh, like a movie studio, and there's a couple different studio areas, and then there's a trailer where the actor, you know, lived, and then there's a like a dining, kind of like a kind of like a dining hall type area, and like you know v- various places like that. So if when you're at that location, then it might say, all right, do you you know you'll you'll be in one spot, and then you can look around at stuff there, and then you can be like, okay, I want to move over to this other area now. Let's walk over here and check out stuff. And it's all like kind of basically first person perspective, and you're looking at the area that you're investigating. And the way you're investigating it is you have a little magnifying glass on the screen. You're just moving it around. And basically when it lights up, that's something that you can look at. And you press the button, you press, I guess, B probably to look at it and, it, and you get some information. Uh, sometimes you'll find items that you can actually pick up and they'll be, be used as evidence as opposed to like kind of just an observation. Like, like a, you might see a broken window and be like, oh, it looks like this window is broken. Or you, in, a, in other places, you might actually find an object that you'll take with you and use as, uh, as, as, a, physical, as a physical piece of evidence. Uh, when you're doing the investigation part, you can also talk to people. Sometimes you'll walk into a room and somebody will be there and then you can ask them a few questions about, you know, were you here this day when this and that happened, when this person was killed? What, what can you tell me about, you know, what was going on that day, that morning, that night, whatever, you know, anything that you saw that was weird, all this kind of stuff. 
And then you do that for a little while. You basically, you know, do that as much as you can. You exhaust all of the options in one room, then then go on to the next room or the next section of an area. Wave the uh, magnifying glass around. Look at everything that it lights up at. Take anything that you can take. And then talk to anybody who's there and do all of the dialogue options that you can. Um, it really just feels like it's a matter of kind of checking everything off of a list. And this part of the game, like I said, at first I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, you're, I'm really paying attention because I want to be able to, you know, remember things and, and tell like if somebody says something I, I can call them out on. But then as I played more and more of the game, it just got more like, okay, I'm just waving it around till I check everything off the list. And then I'm, you know, talking to everybody until I go through all, all the dialogue options. I pick up everything that I can pick up. And then later on, especially in in the third chapter, which was as far as I got, it's, there's a lot of backtracking. Like you might check out all the areas and then it's like, oh, let's, we got to go back here now and check out this other one because now there's some person there. You go back and talk to them and then they might give you a key to go to some other area and then you go to this other place and then maybe you have to go back to another one again and look at everything. And it just gets to me, it got really tedious of just staring at a, you know, a room that's that, you know, nothing's really moving around or anything. It's almost kind of like mist style. Like you click a button and then you're looking at a, a room. It and sounds then, repetitive too, right? Uh, very. Yes. Very repetitive because that's all of the investigation is, is waving the uh, magnifying glass around, looking at everything you can and talking to everybody you can and saying everything that you can to them. Um, the, the art is fine. Nothing special. Like I said, it's kind of cartoony. There's a lot of very sexualized characters, which I wasn't really expecting. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. I've watched in this game, but I've never played it. It's like, there's a lot of girls that just have like really big boobs and like, they specifically they, they specifically make them like bounce extra and stuff like that. Of like, course they do. Nothing crazy, but it's like. Of course, you would play this game too. By the way, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Um, Mosquito Attorney of Law. <laughs> Mr. Mosquito. That's a good one. Thanks. Uh, so then you do this, and then at some point you'll trigger something, or you know somebody you're with will be like, "Well, I guess that's all we can look at here," or something will happen, and you end up you're like, "Okay, I'm done." Then you go to court. You go to trial and this is, this is a lot more, well, this is definitely more engaging, but it's still not, not amazing. Typically what happens is a witness gets up on stand, tells their, tells their side of the story and you have to point out inconsistencies in what they are saying. Um, Sometimes it will be a witness from your side and they'll be up there and you got to be like, you have to kind of tell the guy, Hey, tell us everything, you know, like don't hold anything back. Or I guess there's some cases where you might want to be like, you know, that's enough. You know, we've, we've heard enough from you, but typically most of the, most of the trials are based on the, uh, the prosecution, which is the other, your defense. Most of the, like the bulk of the trials is, uh, the prosecution have somebody up there. They're telling a story that isn't entirely true to try to put your guy in jail and you're trying to point out holes in their story. So, uh, they'll be up there talking and they'll, they'll, they'll tell, they'll, you know, tell, all right, what did you see this day? And they'll, they'll kind of give a whole story, maybe like eight or 10 sentences long. Then what you do is you go back and you can kind of basically flip through everything they said. 
and you can press them for more detail on anything they said. So it's like, oh, okay, you went there in the morning. What time was that? Or, uh, you know, oh, you said you saw this person laying on the ground. Okay, which direction were they facing? You know, little things like that. And you can do this. There, there's there's no penalty for pressing them for more detail. So it's always in your interest to, pre- to, to try to get more detail out of everything they say, even if there's nothing to get really. Then what you can do is you can kind of push them farther and say, uh, you know, like, oh, really? Well, that doesn't make sense because of this or that. And this is where you kind of have to actually give it some thought because if you say, no, that's not true, then, you know, you have to have some reason or be able to present some evidence that proves otherwise, otherwise you, or else you piss off the judge and you have this meter. And if it goes down enough and you piss off the judge enough, uh, I, I think if I remember correctly, you automatically lose and you basically have to reload your save. Uh, so you can only do that if you know, if you really know, you know, if you're very sure they're lying about this and I know why. So sometimes it might be like you point out something else that they said, but a lot of the times what you're doing is you're bringing up, you're, you're presenting a piece of evidence that proves something was wrong that they said. So you might have six or seven pieces of evidence kind of essentially sort of like in in an inventory. And if and what you will do, what you would do is if they say something that contradicts that, then you would kind of go to that section of their testimony and then press a button that brings up all of your evidence pieces and then pick that one and you press the button that says like present. And he says, okay, what about this? So it might be like, oh, really? So you said you saw this dead body at three o'clock, right? Well, here's the coroner's report. And they said that this person didn't die until four o'clock. So what's up with that? Ooh, yeah, busted. boom, busted, boy. Mic drop, gavel drop. <laughs> but what's really annoying about this is that whenever you point out something, you know, obviously the uh, the judge will say, "Okay, prosecution, what do you have? What, you know, how, how can you explain this? Uh, how can how can you explain this? You know, this this supposed sure. problem with your story." Sometimes they'll say, oh, well, I can explain it perfectly. Here's a revised coroner's report that they just released yesterday. Did you not get this one? That actually happens <sighs> one time. It's like, fuck you. Oh, Jesus. Uh, but what's even more annoying is if you c- completely catch them in a lie, th- which is what you're, you know, which is the point of the game. Um, what happens is, uh, and if they don't have anything to say about it, then the judge will say, what do you have to say about this? And they'll be like, Oh, I don't know. And like the, like the prosecuting attorney starts like sweating. He's like, Oh, you know, like making like a very cartoonish, like freaked out face. Like he doesn't know yeah. what to do. And then the, uh, the, the witness who you caught in a lie will be like, uh, 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 uh. And the judge will say, um, do you think you need to revise your testimony to, to be more true? And the person and the witness then will be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Let me start over. What I really meant to say was this. And then they change what they're saying. <laughs> So it's not just like, no, no, you were fucking lying. It's like, we're going to give you another chance. Now tell the truth. And then, so then you have to catch them on another thing and you catch them on something else. And they're like, and then it's the same thing. The judge will be like, uh, clearly you need to revise your testimony because what you're saying isn't true. He's not just like, no, fuck you. You're lying. He's like, go on, change what you're saying. So then they change it again. And that gets really annoying because it's like, no, you don't get to just change. Yeah. You don't get to just change what you're saying. Oh, like, I, got, I got caught. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, you got caught, motherfucker. You don't get to just change it now, but they do get to just change it. 
And eventually what happens is they like are forced to change it enough times to where they kind of cave in and they're like, okay, I give up. You got me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they like spill their guts and tell you whatever yeah, really right. happened. Um, but it's just kind of annoying that they get so many chances to, to, to revise their story. Um, and that's pretty much the game, I guess. Uh, like I said, there, there are, I believe in my playthrough, if I remember correctly, the first two chapters were pretty straightforward. And then in the third one that I played, there was like, okay, you go to trial and then now we're going to have, we're, we're going to take a break. And then I went out and had to do more investigating, but even then it was like at the same locations and it got really repetitive, really redundant. Cause I'm just like looking at the same boring ass scenery, talking to some people, getting a little bit of new information, finding, you know, maybe one new area to look at, but mostly the same stuff. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. The, the first two cases were fine. The third one went on way too long and then got super repetitive. And I don't, I think there were maybe five or six chapters, uh, in the game. So okay. I got two and a half chapters in and got bored with it. It's cool. Uh, it's a very, uh, it's a cool idea. You know, it's, it's, it's a very original sure. idea, you know, for when it came out. Um, there's not really another game that I can think of that's that's very much like this, but for me, it just wasn't executed well. Way too repetitive, a little bit frustrating, and uh, I just I I just didn't really have a ton of fun with it. Yeah. Number of streamers I watch usually play it while they're in queue for other games. That's oh really? Yeah. Oh, do you have any idea? Do you have any idea which ones they play? No, no, I have no idea. Because I wonder if like some of the later ones maybe are better or something. It looked newer. Um, I would assume at least the PS2. So. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I mean, 2001 is PS2, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. So maybe the same version. Did they come out with one for PS2? I thought this was always a Nintendo thing. Oh, was it? Oh, I might be wrong. It looked like it looked like PS2 graphics. Let me see. So just that quality of graphics, but not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I guess that's more of what I meant. Yeah. Because gotcha. they're all using emulators, so I have no idea what. Oh, sure. Right. Okay. Um, okay. I got two more, a little bit smaller. Next one I played was, uh, baseball stars Two. Ooh, you and baseball games. I'm excited to hear this. <laughs> this was, this came out in 1992 on Neo Geo. Wow. Uh, over the weekend I was at a friend's house and he has one of these, uh, like cabinet, like emulators built into a cabinet basically yeah, yeah, yeah. that just has, you know, a ton of arcade stuff and uh, a lot of console stuff and just whatever he can fit on there. And so we were just kind of dicking around, looking around playing, you know, whatever looked interesting. So we played this on baseball stars Two, classic Neo Geo game. It has the classic, like really good Neo Geo graphics that basically all of their games had. So uh, it looks really good. It was a pretty good game. It, It was very similar. And I didn't even think about this at first until he said something, but this was, very similar to Ken Griffey Jr. baseball. I knew you were going to say that, and I've never even played it. I knew that's, I'm not even joking. I knew exactly that's where you're going to go. That's like the only baseball game I've ever, ever heard you talk about, really. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, it's got a cartoony style, which Ken Griffey Jr. does for sure, but th- this one is even more cartoony. Probably just because the uh, Neo Geo had like was more powerful and had and you could do better graphics. So it was the cartoony graphics are kind of more intense and more detailed but generally the same kind of style. 
Uh, even like they're, they had like, even like super elaborate batting stances like they do on Ken Griffey. And like the characters have huge muscles and stuff just like on Ken Griffey. It's, it really looks pretty similar. Um, and I mean, other than that, it's there. There's not really a whole lot to say about it. The mechanics were all fine. Uh, the game looked fantastic, which was really kind of its main thing it's got going for it. But one problem was the batting is kind of difficult to nail down. I, I get, well, maybe it's just me because my, it was our first time for either of us to play it. My friend beat me like 14 to zero. Jesus, <laughs> I wow, barely ever talk. even hit the ball. Uh, he didn't Had seem he, to he play prior. No, he had never played it. Oh, wow. Okay. So I don't know what was going on, but he got obviously, uh, got used to the batting much faster than I did. Um, so maybe that's just me. But, I mean, other than that, what do you say about a baseball game? If it controls well, the speed is fine, there's not a lot of downtime. All, all, I guess this is all stuff that's, that's a also lot to similar. say. Yeah, this is all stuff that's also similar to Ken Griffey Jr. Um, yeah, baseball games, video game baseball games are fun to me. And this one, I think, holds up really well. Uh, one kind of funny thing is... Uh, when you're playing with the TV pick, they're all based on countries. It's not like MLB teams or anything like that. So I think, so one of, I forgot which was which, but one of us was US and one of us was Japan. <laughs> and like the Japanese names they picked, it was like somebody just tried thinking of Japanese companies and just like wrote down oh, the first geez. thing they could. It was like the, the, the character's names were like Toyota Kawasaki, Yamaha. Oh, God. <laughs> One guy's name was Kamikaze. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, that was kind of hilarious. Um, in, in maybe not a good way, but hilarious nonetheless. Uh, super ridiculous. But, yeah, that's kind of... I don't really know what else to say about it. It's a good two-player game. Um, it's a solid baseball game with, with really good graphics. The last game I have... So we talked about um, the 2,500 games being added to uh, the Internet Archive, right? Those DOS games. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I was checking them out. I was just browsing, you know, as you do. And uh, I pulled it up. And I was like, I wonder what some of these new games are. I'm just going like, to look at the first page. One of, it was like the fourth or fifth game listed on the first page was Strip Poker 2 Plus. Nice. This came out in 1988. As I said, it was a DOS game. And uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. You're just playing uh, poker with a against a girl. And as you win, she has to progressively take more and more clothes off. It is... Um, the, the graphics are like where you have... It's clearly a photograph of an actual person, but super, super, super low res pixelated because, you know, it's a DOS game. Um, I don't really know how to describe it, but I do have a picture to show you so you can kind of get an idea. Maybe you can describe it to our listeners better than I can. But like, if you just kind of think, can you imagine at all what what I mean when I say like, Oops. I mean, generally, but I'm kind of, I feel like you're going to throw a curveball here, not to make a baseball reference, but. Oh, wait, I'm trying to find, <laughs> trying to find the right one. Oh, uh, here we go. This is where I got all the way in, so to speak. 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's not what I was expecting. See what I'm saying? Like, it's clear. This is definitely a real picture of a real woman, but it's like there are two colors used for the entire yeah, part. It's like, or three. Like it's yellow ye- and red. Oh, yellow green, is, yeah. yeah, yellow is the main skin color. Red for shading, like pick, like dotted red. Black for her hair and her eyes. And that's it. And to note, she's completely naked. Oh, yeah, 100% entirely naked, which was kind of what I was curious. I was like, I wonder how naked they get on this game. So I played it for a little bit, and the way it works is it's five-card draw. Or, no, I'm sorry. It's uh, is five-card draw. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's five-card draw. And you're, you're betting. And then, like, when she runs out of money, she'll say... They start off fully closed, of course, and she'll say, like, oh, I have to bet my... I have to bet my shirt. And do you have to bet anything? Like, do you yeah, have to if you low, if you lose, if you get too low on money, then it says like you have to bet your shoes. <laughs> like that's as far as I got, but it seems like much more mundane stuff than she has the chance to give up. Yeah, uh, and then she'll be like, I have to, you know, bet my shirt, and then she's wearing a bra, and then and there she's doing a different pose in every one of these pictures. Um, then it might say like, okay, this time I have to bet my like skirt. And then, like, as you go on, it says, like, this time I have to bet my bra and so on. And then once you, uh, and it's like every time she gives up a piece of clothing, that seems to be worth, like, roughly $100. And so she has more money to bet with. And then when she runs out of that, then she says, I got to, you know, I got to bet this and that. And then sometimes she'll get it back. Sometimes she will, you know, win a lot of money back and she'll be like, oh, I get my shirt back. And then she goes, and then it goes back to a previous picture. And so she, it's. You know, that's really all there is to it. It's 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 pretty easy a lot of the time uh, to tell if they have a good hand or not because they usually don't bluff, at least not very hard. So if they are like, uh, I'm going to call at f- like $5 or something like that, then you know that if a lot of the time if you bet a ton, then they'll just fold right then. Or if they're like, oh, I need four cards, then you know that they have a shit hand. Or if yeah. they bet a ton, then that typically means that they have a pretty good hand. So... There's not a whole lot of trickery going on there. It's pretty straightforward. Um, like I said, my main thing, I was very curious as to whether they get entirely naked, and they do definitely get 100% naked. Uh, there's two girls to choose from that you can play against. I only did one just to see. It was purely an experiment. And when yeah, I got... <laughs> then when you Then when they get completely naked, it says something like, well, that's as far as it gets. Or it says something like, basically, like, okay, there's no more else. There's nothing else to see here, so you can take quit off whatever. your skin. Take off your skin. <laughs> oh shit. Um. So yeah, that was definitely pretty interesting. This was Strip Poker Two Plus on DOS. I wonder what the what just regular Strip Poker Two was like. I have no idea. I, I did not expect this much from that. Game, so. <laughs> well, the graphics are pretty killer here, so. True. Um, so, anyways, that was very fun. You can again, you can find that on uh, on archive.org if you want to play it in your browser. It's a good five minutes. All right, that's all I got. Jay, what's up, sir? It's time for top fives. Oh, but you know what? I should mention first that we have nailed down our next game of the quarter. Oh yeah. Uh, Jay wants us to play Rogue, the original Rogue, the one that came out in 1986, 
the one that created the roguelike genre, basically. Um, when will this be? Let's see. So this is the last. Okay, so I guess this will be like towards the end of December when we when we talk about mm-hmm. it. So sometime a little bit before Christmas, probably, uh, will be when we discuss this. Uh, again, this is Rogue, the classic PC game. Um, now, one of the difficult things about this is there's not a great place to get this game from. The best that I've found are a few places where you can play it in your browser. That's probably oh, what I would recommend. You can't. That's easy too. Yeah, that is easy. Except the only problem is you can't save it, so you just got to keep it running for mm-hmm. as long as your run goes. Uh, you, Not long. There is a DOSBox version of this. You can oh, find at. I do have DOSBox already too. Okay, so you can find a DOSBox download for this at plenty of places. My recommendation is you do a Google search for for Rogue Game. That seems to to be the best. Like so many, like if you just type in rogue, you're going to get so much stuff that you don't want. Um, if you type in just about anything but rogue game, you're going to get other things besides this game. Um, in fact, I said 1986, but this game actually came out in 1980. I don't know why I had 1986. I think it said 82 initially, by the way. Well, it's 1980. I was wrong either you're way. You're closer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there are, if you do a search for it, there are plenty of places you can find it. Um where you can find a download for DOSBox. <clears throat> However, if you want to play it in your browser, uh, you can actually, this is actually available on the Internet Archive as well. So if you go to archive.org, I don't know the exact uh, way to get there, but you basically find a way to find their, uh, their software. It looks like you can click that on the top maybe. Then something called Internet Arcade pops up. Nope, that's not it. You can find it. You guys are smart. Yeah, just juggle it. But you can you can play this on the Internet Archive, uh, the DOS version on there. There's also, uh, if you go to playclassic.games, that's another place where you can, uh, if you search for it there, go to playclassic.games, and then just in the top part, you just type in Rogue. When I do that, two games pop up, See Rogue and Rogue. Well, it's the one that's called Rogue. So just click on that one, and then you can also play you can play that in the browser there. So um, fairly uh, straightforward. Well, vaguely straightforward, I guess. But it's it's if you know how to get there, it's eventually easy enough. So that is our game for game of the quarter. That's how to get to it. I will point out just a few things uh, if if you don't mind. Um, you can find a good guide. Mainly, this will be good for a lot of the com- well, for some of the commands at coredumpcentral.org slash docs slash r-o-g-g-u-i-d-e dot text. Um, that's a good place that has a there there are there was surprisingly little information about this game online for for, for how kind of important of a game it is, but I found <laughs> that that particular URL has a pretty good guide for it that just kind of has some basics about the game as well as the commands. Because if you haven't ever played a roguelike before, you're probably going to be lost on a lot of the commands, um, particularly how to use items, how to how to drink potions and that kind of stuff. So just glance through that. I will give you a couple quick pointers. Um, S is the search button. Throughout the game, you're, you're going from level to level 
downstairs to the next level, downstairs to the next level, downstairs to the next level. You are look. You are trying to get to level twenty six, I believe, where there is the amulet of Yendor. When you get to the twenty sixth level, you get the amulet of Yendor, and then you're supposed to return back to the top of the dungeon. Um, do you think anybody's going to be able to do that? I. I don't think so. No. Um. If it's anything like NetHack, which is a derivative of this game, um, no. But at the same time, I do think this is significantly easier than NetHack. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's possible, but I still think it's hard enough to where that's going to probably not happen. But I could be wrong. We'll see. I don't know quite enough about... If we were playing NetHack, it would be hell no. There were people that played that game for years and have still never beaten it. Wow. Um, this one is not that hard, but I don't know what the level of disparity is there. So I would say no, but I, but it's possible. Okay. Um, if you can't find the stairs, there's a search button. That's S go to a part of the screen where it looks like there's a big empty spot that you haven't been to yet. Like get to a room that's close to that empty spot, go against the walls and, and press the S button to search that searches to see if there's a hidden door that you didn't see at first. So it, basically if you get stuck on a level and you can't find the stairs, Go around searching against the walls where it looks like there might be a big empty spot that you're missing, and uh, you'll you'll know what I mean when you play the game, and you can and you'll find a you'll eventually find a hidden door. Um, the period will stand still for a turn, so this is a turn-based game. Nothing happens when you're sitting still. When you move one, all everything else moves one. If there's a monster, if you want to let them move and you stand still, you press period to do that. Um, to attack monsters, you simply walk into them. You use the numpad. I think you can use the arrow keys too, but the numpad's better because it has the diagonals. Uh, you use the numpad to walk around, to move around, and to just do a basic attack against a monster. You just walk into them. Basically, you bump into them, and that's considered an attack. Um, aside from that, I won't go into all of the mechanics, but you can you can re- just give that guide a quick read. Just mostly skip down to the, where it has the commands. So you know how to, you know, like equip something or drink a potion and that kind of stuff. And then you should be pretty much good to go. This isn't any, this isn't as bad as NetHack where it's like you have to know all these really secret things about the game that are not apparent and you just have to like read about them somewhere where it has like a lot of bullshit like that. This isn't anywhere near like that, but you do have to know just the basic commands to play it. Gotcha. All right. In fact, Jay, I'll uh, link this to you right now so you you have it. Um, okay. So now we're on to top fives. This is top five games that you've bought the most or otherwise come into possession of the most number of times. Jay, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Uh, my number five is Diablo two. So early on when I was playing a lot of computer games, my brother and I uh, shared my computer. So we had one account. But then when he got his own computer, we had to buy multiple accounts. And at a certain point, uh, we lost the initial account that we had. So we had to buy two additional accounts. (laughs) At the time, I was the one who was buying games because my parents weren't really on board with buying games as much, especially ones, uh, especially Blizzard games, because they thought they all had monthly subscriptions. But anyways, so we ended up buying three (laughs) copies at that time. And then I bought it again within the last few years, I think, to play for the podcast, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So I think I purchased it. Four times. Actually, you know, I purchased it five times because I bought it for somebody else as well. So I think I purchased it at least. <laughs> damn. Actually, this should be higher on my list, but damn. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, I, I what's sure your next one's going to be like? Yeah, actually, this 
this is a, this actually should be higher based on that. But uh, yeah, it, I, at least four times that I can remember. Damn, you this got me like, beat already. Sorry. I just realized because I thought it was only three times because I thought I lost one and then bought two more. But then, yeah, I remember I bought it again for the podcast <laughs> recently. All right. My number five is TIE Fighter. Um, I bought this one when it originally came out. Awesome game. Then they then they came out with the CD-ROM version of it a couple years later. So, you know, it had been long enough since I played it and I loved it enough to where I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm buying that version, too. So I bought it, played it. And then um, it came out on uh, on Steam, or was it GOG? No, yeah, okay, no, no, no. I think it was both. I think it was Steam first. Hold on, let me check. Let me check my library. Um, Star Wars. No, okay, never. It does. It is on Steam, but I didn't buy it on Steam. I bought it just on GOG. Uh, so I bought it on GOG when it came back out. And, uh, that was just not that long ago. And then I also bought a boxed version of it just to kind of have, just cause I like the game so much, just to kind of have the box. So technically I guess I bought that one, that one four times. So nothing crazy, but still fair amount for a video game. Cool. Um, my number four is secret of Ever- evermore, which I talked about, uh, pretty previously. So I bought this game twice. Uh, so it's initially, I never owned a super Nintendo. This is why this is on my list. So initially, my buddy and I, um, we, we saw Secret of Evermore. He saw it was a Square game. So we bought it. We played it for a while. We got really far. And then he literally lost the cartridge. I still, to this day, don't know how he did it. He was, he was a pretty big degenerate. But I never we never found it. We looked all over his house. I never found it. So then we bought an additional copy. And I kept that one with me. Every time I'd leave this house, I would take it with me, even though I didn't have a Super Nintendo. Just so oh, that you, you, tell, you, you yeah. talked about that one time. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good. That's great. That's a good one. Okay, my number four is Monkey Island. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I think it's I think one and two are pretty much tied, but um, at least one for sure. So I bought that. I bought it. You know, definitely when it originally came out, and then okay. I bought it. Uh, they released it on. They, they re-released the game on Steam and everything, and also iOS. And at the time, I bought the iOS version. And I'm pretty sure when that came out, I only bought the the first one and not the second one. So I bought it on iOS. And then it came out on Steam. And I bought it on there so I could play it for the podcast, I think. Um, and then it came out also on GOG. And I think they had the thing where you can kind of like link your Steam account. For that particular, you know, for some particular games, and get it sure. there. So I basically got it for there and free. So that kind of halfway counts. And then I also, this is another one that I bought a boxed version of, just because I like to have the box of it because I love the game so much. So four or five times, I guess, something like that for this one. Um, yeah, great game. <laughs> All right, number three. Uh, my number three is going to be Final Fantasy VII. So I bought this game for the PS1, obviously, when it first came out. I then bought a, a uh, PC version when uh, that became available. And then um, shortly after, I bought a second PlayStation 1 version when they did... Uh, when they did... It wasn't a re-release. Oh, no, I bought it again because my the first version I had when I had it for my PlayStation 1 was no longer working. So I bought two PlayStation 1 versions along with the PC version as well. Oh wait, so yours broke. So you bought a you bought another one. Yeah, well, it gotcha. broke. We scratched the discs. We're a bunch of degenerates. <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah. So, 
Uh, I know that we at least bought two for the PlayStation 1, and then I bought the PC version as well at some point, which was actually pretty damn good, but yeah. And you'll be buying the uh, the remake pretty we'll soon, see. too. <laughs> we'll see. Well, well so really, are you, 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 no, there's no way. If, if it's only for PlayStation 5, like if I have to buy a PlayStation 5 in order to play all the different segments of it, I'm going to strongly consider it. But You'll have I to probably at least get a PS4, though, I guess, right? Yeah, PS4 will be reasonably, reasonably priced at that point, I would hope, because PS5 has been announced. I just, I don't really like buying new consoles, especially when they're fresh, because they're so stupidly priced. Like oh, they're yeah, they obnoxiously are. expensive. Okay. My number three is uh, this one I didn't realize at first, but then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, I have bought that one, I guess, a, a lot of times. <clears throat> this is Golden Axe. So this is a classic beat em up game, um, kind of like a sort of medieval fantasy setting. And uh, it was an arcade game, I believe, but it was also on Sega Genesis. And so I originally owned it on Sega Genesis, played it a ton. Then when Sega CD came out, it came with like a disc that just had a few random Sega Genesis games on it. I don't know why they weren't really, I don't think they were up or anything like that. It's just like, oh, here's a few extra games. These are, these were on Genesis, but you can play them on the Sega CD. So when I bought a Sega CD, this disc, that disc had Golden Axe on it. And then now I have a Sega Genesis Sega CD again. When I bought this Sega CD on eBay, the person had that original disc that came with it. So I got that again for Sega CD. And then the Sega Mega Sack Pack, like the Sega Genesis Classics Collection that you can get on Steam, it's on there. And it's also on the Sega Genesis Classic or the Sega Genesis Mini Console that I bought a few weeks ago. So that's what, four or five times, I guess. Sega Genesis, Sega CD twice, Sega Mega Sack Pack. Yeah. Five times in the Sega, uh, Genesis mini. So I bought, yeah, I bought that one a ton of kind of a ton of times, even though I used to love it. I don't, I'm not like a huge fan anymore, but somehow I've just ended up buying that one a ton of times. I was just trying to think for my last two, I actually don't know how many times I've bought or purchased these games. I was like trying to get the exact number. (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't think it's like a crazy number, but I don't think I could actually pinpoint down the exact. Anyways, uh, my number two is final, obviously Final Final Fantasy Tactics. Final Fantasy Tactics I've purchased for both the PlayStation. Uh, okay, 1 I was wondering where this is going to be. At least a few times, and then I've also purchased the one that was built for the uh, was it the Vita, the handheld, the PlayStation, mm-hmm. or the Sony handheld. Um, when that when that version came out, which was incredible, by the way. But yeah, so I, I definitely purchased. I, I can confirm at least three times, but. I have a strong feeling I purchased another version at some point. I'm almost positive I've done it at least four times, but I can think of at least three that I've confirmed. Um, and the second they release another version of it, because I wouldn't be well, they did the the mobile version, which I didn't purchase, but I have have tried it. It's actually really good as well. The one they did for the mm-hmm. iOS and Android, it's really good. It's yeah, that really was well the done. one that I played as the iOS one. Yeah. It was good. I, th- I think the Vita one is better. I don't know why it just has a better feel to it, but uh, yeah. Okay. Um, my number two is Super Mario Kart. Wow. Yeah. And this one isn't even because I love the game so much. It's almost just by accident that I've bought it so many times. So I bought it when it originally came out, of course, on Super Nintendo. Sure. Then a few years ago, I bought it again for Super Nintendo so I could play it for the podcast and so that I could like play it when friends come over and that kind of stuff. And, uh, then... I bought a 3DS a couple years ago 
and I bought the Super Nintendo themed 3DS and it came with Super Mario Kart installed on it. Like the, the, uh, so virtual, technically that was a purchase. Yeah. The virtual console version was installed on that. So that's three. Then, um, I bought the Sega or no, sorry, the Super Nintendo classic. It's on there. And then on the, on switch on the Super Nintendo stuff on that you get for being on uh, a switch online member. It's on there as well. Holy shit. So this game, that's pretty good. You know, obviously not, sure. I mean, it's a classic for sure. It's really good, but it's not one that I would have normally bought a shitload of times. I've ended yes. up buying this in one way or another five times. Holy shit. That's your number two. Oh, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. My number one will probably be obvious once you once you hear it. Okay. Well, right, um, number, my number, your, number, one number one is another Final Fantasy game, one that they re-release every few years for whatever dumbass reason, and I'm a dumbass and buy every single version, <laughs> is Final Fantasy X. So, okay. Final Fantasy X, okay. uh, I bought one initially came out for the PlayStation 2. I then had to buy a replacement copy because I either damaged it or lost it. I don't remember which one. Um, so that's two. I bought it for the re-release for the PlayStation 3 when they did that. And then there was one more. Hold on a second here. Wow, they made a lot of money. Damn. Well, let's see. PlayStation 2, they did a remaster on PlayStation 3. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot they did the Nintendo Switch version. I forgot, I completely forgot about that. Oh, yeah, that, like, just came out, right? <clears throat> yeah. Oh, maybe it was just the PAL version then. No, because I don't own the PAL version. I've only played yeah, I was that say, why would you okay, have so that? Maybe it's just the three time. Uh, because it's different. It's apparently, it's it's quite a bit different. Um, yeah, so but I guess you have to have a PAL compatible console right oh i didn't know that i, I don't own it so that but um that's one two, okay so it looks like it's actually just three times i thought i first it four times but okay maybe you bought um, an extra time just just to prove how big of a fan have, of it you are yeah right well I, I will tell you this i will buy it again when they release it <laughs> the next time they release it, i'm like ah screw it it looks good ah let's just give it a little bit <laughs> Um, yeah. I really want to. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I know what it is. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know what it is. I bought. So when they did, they did a, a re-release when they released the second version. That's where the fourth one comes from. So when they released 10.2, they did like oh, a bundle okay. thing. That's oh, what it okay, was. okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Okay, that okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, I would like to play that again soon. It's a really fun game. I, I, I it's one of those games I play at least like once every Dude, year. Or that might years. be my favorite Final Fantasy game, possibly. Even with the laugh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, that only makes it better. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that's a that's a really damn good one. Yeah, it's really fun. And every time they release, release it, they, they touch some things up, and I'm like, yeah, hey, it's like a completely different game for me. I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> whole new game. Whole new game. All right, my number one is Street Fighter 2. Oh, yeah, okay. Just because they've oh, come out yeah. with so many fucking versions of this damn game. <laughs> like, so I bought it when it originally came out. And this isn't even counting all the times I played it in the arcade. Uh, so true. I bought it, you know, of course, when it came out on Super Nintendo originally. That was super exciting. Then, a year or two later, um, he, uh, it, they came out with, the tur- with, the st- with Street Fighter II Turbo. Also for Super Nintendo. They came out with the Sega Genesis version. I, I didn't buy the Sega Genesis version because I didn't need it. I had both the Super Nintendo versions. Then, um, I'm trying to make sure I don't miss anything in between. I bought the 
Street Fighter 2, uh, I'm sorry, Ultra Street Fighter 2 on Nintendo Switch, which came out shortly after the Switch launched. Then, about a year after that, they came out with Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection, which had like four versions of Street Fighter 2 on it. And then, uh, Street Fighter 2 is on the... Super Nintendo Classic, which I bought. And it's also, they also have the Sega Genesis version of it on the Sega Genesis Mini as well. Hmm. So I guess I bought that one, two, three, four, twice on the Super Nintendo, twice on the Switch, once on the Super Nintendo Classic, once on uh, the Sega Genesis Mini. And that, and that's not counting the multiple versions of it that are on the second Switch version. And you'll probably buy it again in the future. Yeah, if they come out with some other version of it, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, oh, here's a new one. Let's that's put our number one seven common right there. Every time they release a new one, I'm like, <laughs> hey, ah, yeah. fuck it. Yeah. That's $25. It's a great game. Yeah, exactly. All right. Good lists. Yeah, turned out, turned out well. Like this it. was interesting just to kind of think about, if for nothing else, think about like, how much money we've wasted on the same game? How much money we've wasted on shit? Yeah, exactly. I love it. All right, our next top five is going to be games that you wished you liked more. Yeah. For whatever reason, yeah. game that you didn't love, or you maybe you like, but you not as much as you wanted to, and you really wish that you liked it more than you than you do. Or games that you know that are high quality games. So you're just like, I really wish I enjoyed playing this game. Or Robert and I have talked about that. There are a lot of games that are extremely popular, especially for classic games that are like, these are the staple. Like you have to play these games. And we're like, yeah, we understand it, but just doesn't really, just doesn't really uh, give us much. So yeah, but at the same time, beyond that, we we wish that we'd still that we did like it more. Exactly for for, yeah, yeah. for some for whatever weird reason, you're like, oh, I, I wish I could get into that game, but I just can't. Okay. Time for emails. Let's do it. We do have more than one this time. Oh yeah, let's go, boys. Let's go, boys. Um, Ooh, there's the email. Oh music. damn, I'm gonna have you. T- I'm gonna have you take this one. If that's, that's okay. Fine. Perfectly fine. Just send me the link when you can. <laughs> I almost just posted this in some random Discord that I'm a member of. <laughs> before I posted some dumb shit in other days before. <laughs> yeah, all good. This is from Father Beast. Oh, cool. Okay, there it goes. Father Beast says, hello, classic gamers. Father Beast here. Sorry, my computer's like freezing up. There we go. Uh, I guess we have a number of things to cover here, so this may run a bit long. We'll see. That's a good That's a good intro. Uh, first up is the top five this time. Uh, this time, my top five games I would like to see as MMOs. Now, I don't really play MMOs, though I have dipped a little bit into Dungeon Runners and Path of Exile. Truthfully, I figure the perfect MMO is... Uh, to play is probably either EVE Online or World of Warcraft, but if I was actually getting into playing any MMO, I wouldn't play anything else. So I've never taken the idea of playing an MMO seriously. I didn't have the full five, but here goes. I want to interject game. real quick. That's 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 been my thought process a lot, 
And I won't say entirely because there is one that I'm kind of interested in, in playing now, sort of randomly. But in the past, that's kind of been my thought process as well. It's like, well, shit, if I start playing this, then I'm not going to end up playing anything else. And I want to play other stuff too. So <laughs> I'm just going to skip this. Anyway, go on. I respect it. You're not alone, Father Beast. Um, top five games to be turned into MMOs. Number four. Battle Room. Okay, I'm cheating here since this, game, this isn't a game I want to see as an MMO, but a game I want to see someone make. The Battle Room is from the novel and a bit in the movie of Ender's Game. It would be a shooter and involve two teams in a zero-gravity environment. When you shoot an opponent, their suit freezes and they are unable to move, though they retain their former motion drifting through the room. I imagine that would be a little like the Descent, oh wait, a little like Descent, uh, in that the disorientation would likely be nausea-inducing. It would require an innovation of controls since you couldn't simply push a button to move in a direction, but you would have to push off walls and plan where you would bounce. Number three, Stardew Valley slash Truck Simulator. Just came up with this since I was thinking that there ought to be an MMO which is just chill and you can get away from the hyper-competitive atmosphere. Play as a farmer and periodically harvest and ship off your products, or alternatively, be a truck driver and haul those farm products. Relax, do your job, and lower your blood pressure. Number two, Master of Magic. Mom is an old civilization type game where you play a wizard that grows an empire, conquers the world, and casts spells along the way. In addition to founding and growing cities, you can also hire heroes to lead your armies. I'm picturing a game in which you start out as a citizen of one of those cities, maybe working in the blacksmith shop or stable, or you could just join a spearman unit when they decide to organize one and fight for your overlord. Sometimes feeling the advantages of being led by a hero or having spells cast on you during battle. Once you attain a certain level of veterancy, you could become a hero yourself, leading armies and finding artifacts for your wizard master. The path could eventually lead you to build, uh, lead to you building your own tower and becoming a wizard overlord. I rather like the idea. Number one, Diablo. I once wrote an article that never got printed anywhere titled An MMO for the Rest of Us. This was back before the days when free-to-play became a thing. I imagined that they, they should send game discs to everyone, just spamming them out like AOL discs, and anyone could play a demo version, probably being limited to the beginner town or something like that. I figured Diablo would be the perfect setting for this, and freebie guys could go down and kill rats in the sewers, while people who pay the subscription could go out of town and fight the bigger monsters. Since I wanted it to be more cooperative than a business of fighting other players, I imagined that the forces of darkness would spawn more monsters based on the number of players were logged in. So if a bunch of players just like me log in and play some poker down at the bar with freebies, there's a chance a horde of zombies could be assaulting the town walls, or people could get serious and organized and actually clear out some of the outside areas, making them safe for a while at least. To my knowledge, no game has instituted this kind of PvE. There are elements like this in certain MMOs that I've played, but it gets repetitive and gets predictable after a while, so it's kind of hard for, for developers to do this so far from what I've seen. Father the Beast goes on to say, okay, now on to the game of the quarter. I watched some YouTube videos of people playing the game you said you would be playing, Mr. Mosquito. Man, that looks like a terrible game. It <laughs> seems like the each level in a room in which a family member of the family is relaxing, and you, as a mosquito, have the goal to land on a person and suck up a certain amount of blood without them waking up and trying not to kill you. It seems that if you do wake them up, it enters some sort of battle mode where you yep. try to dodge their blows a while. <laughs> and I'm just guessing here, you emit your wine to try and make them go to sleep. Rinse and repeat. I lost interest pretty quick. I can't imagine under what circumstances I would ever want to play this game. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much in a nutshell. It's a pretty big <laughs> meme. Yeah I, yeah, I think, personally, it wasn't as bad as that makes it sound, for me at least. But not. it still wasn't a very good game. No, not at all. Uh, Father Beast goes on to say, 
Ah, uh, that, but that's okay because I didn't play Mr. Mosquito for the game of the quarter. Instead, I played Quest for Glory Two: Trial by <laughs> Fire. Uh, I have no patience for text parser, so I played the fan-made remake, which gives the icon-based player control, and I find that far more palatable. I imported my character I had made when I replayed the first game in order to finish the game. This one uh, was a thief, which didn't make all that much difference in the first game, but makes more of a difference in this one. Anyway, the game starts you with being a guest at an inn belonging to, uh, excuse me, belonging to the two Kata, which ran the inn, or Kata, uh, which ran the inn in the first game. Remember how I never spent any money for food or lodging in the first game because of a routine I had? Well, you get that right off in this game, since the, the Kata are so grateful uh, to you for what you did in the first game that they let you stay at their place for free and feed you twice a day. You also have a bunch of money from people from the first game, but when you leave the inn, you find yourself in a marketplace where people will sell you all sorts of stuff, but they won't take your money because you don't have the local currency. You have to go find the money changer. That takes you uh, out into the city. The city is a maze of seamlessly end endless twisting, turning alleys, which uh. occasionally open up into plazas where the where the vendors are, uh, are selling things. It's very easy to get lost, and I did several times. But if you can get th to the money changers, get some local currency, and make it back to the plaza with the marketplace where you started, a guy there will sell you a map of the city. After that, it gets much easier since you can hit a key and bring up the map to see where you are. The classic humor of the series continues, with various jokes sprinkled throughout the game. A guy, guy who looks like Chico Marx is hawking his wares in the marketplace, <laughs> and Groucho Marx uh, and a Groucho Marx look-alike will sell you a giant lizard to ride across the desert. Speaking of the desert, it's out there that I found combat, which is almost unknown in the city. And combat is much is much changed from the first game. Remember how I used to just spam the thrust button win all fights well that won't work here i found myself dying in almost every fight i got into fortunately i don't need to go to the desert for a while and in the meantime i've been training in the fight in fighting techniques as well as leveling my fighting skills down to the fighter guild or excuse me down at the fighters guild as a thief i saw all the doors along the alleys and saw them as opportunities for money no such luck i can pick the locks but almost all the doors are barred and you can't pick a bar on the inside of the door only doors which have story significance are ever unbarred well, at least there's plenty to do in the city. There are puzzles to solve, which give you access to certain citizens, which will be necessary as the story unfolds. After a number of days, a series of elementals will start terrorizing parts of the city, and you have to go out and capture them. This will give you a set of, a set of pet elementals, which I imagine come in handy later, but I didn't get that far. I was in between elementals, and I saw someone in the plaza had set up a high wire act and was letting people try it. I found this game, this minigame extraordinarily difficult, but I saw my dexterity kept going up every time I tried, so I kept playing. That was when the game told me that I'd fallen off the wire and broke my neck, and I was... <laughs> uh, I had forgotten that Sierra Games just love to kill you in unfair ways. My last save game was some time back. I was not excited to replay the last section right away and got involved in yet another replay of the Urquan Masters HD. By the time I had finished that, I had gotten a Commodore 64 Mini for my birthday, and I nice. haven't gone back to play it again. <laughs> I will make sure that I finish the game in order to transfer my character for Quest for Glory 3 next summer. <laughs> and, and continuing my series of top games to play on the Commodore 64, this time I played Jumpman. Jumpman and Jumpman 2 are included on the games pre-installed on the Commodore 64. What is Jumpman 2? I wondered I uh, I wondered I had heard of Jumpman Jr., but not Jumpman 2. It turns out Jumpman 2 is Jumpman Jr., but has been renamed for some strange reason. Anyway, Jumpman is a platformer in which you have a level of platforms, ladders, and ropes. Your character runs, jumps, and climbs to pick up treasure spread all around the level. There's also some sort of other danger. Often one or, one or more bullets 
Uh, a bullet in this game is just a little dot that drifts across the screen until it is either lined up vertically or horizontally to your guy, at which point it speeds towards you and you have to dodge it. It gets creative about the difficulties. It gets creative about the difficulties. The first level has a bullet. Second level has a couple of robots which are stationary until you touch the treasure, at which point they race to their they race off to their next preset location. Third level has bombs that fall from the top to the bottom of the screen. Fourth level has flying bats, which track you. Fifth level has four bullets, and they're not bullets. They make you jump when they hit you. And the sixth level has one bullet, and you have to build a ladder in the middle from the ladder pieces you pick up when you pick up certain treasures, and it goes on and on. I'm not a dexterous. I'm not as dexterous as I was when I was 21, and I just can't do some of these things very well. It's still fun, though. Okay, we'll stop there. I apologize for the sore voice I've given you in, in this ridiculously long email, but I'm still listening to your show and having fun, Father Beast. No worries. Thank you, Awesome. Louis. Yeah, thank you for the email, Father Beast. All right, next email is is, is also from, from, from Father Beast. Uh, Father Beast says, Hello, Classic Gamers. Father Beast here. Huh. Thought I had sent that last one in before the deadline. Silly me. Well, I'll try to get this one in before you actually record. Oh, he meant that for that one to be the, on the list. The last episode. Oh, well, that's all good. Uh, he, Father B says, okay, first thing on the agenda is the top five. This time it's top five games I have repurchased. It really doesn't sound much like it would be that interesting, but, but here we go. Top five games I have repurchased. Five, Alpha Centauri. I bought this at a used game store, then got the expansion pack at a thrift store. Years later, I bought it on GOG. Four, Civilization 2. I bought this and the expansion packs, Civilizations in Conflict and Fantastic Worlds, piecemeal, uh, used at several game stores. Then one year I bought Civilization 2 Test of Time, which ended up being sort of an offshoot. Then sometime in the last decade, I found this thing online, which will upgrade you to Civ 2 Multiplayer Gold Edition. This is basically Civ 2, the two expansion packs and multiplayer. Number three, Space Rangers 2. I have two boxed copies of the game, and I'm not really sure how this happened. Additionally... I bought Space Rangers HD, despite the lack of number, it's Space Rangers 2 on Steam. In time, I'll probably get it on GOG 2. Uh, number two, Heroes of Might and Magic. All of the used versions came from this one store at the mall, which sold used games and CDs. I first bought Heroes of Might and Magic, shortened to HOM, uh, the first one. Then I bought a pack which had HOM 1 and 2 together. Then I bought a pack which had HOM 1, 2, and 3 as well as the expansion for two. Then I bought HOM 3 Complete, which also had two of yep. the expansions for that. They ended up having one more expansion for HOM 3 after that, but I didn't get that until years later when I bought all these things in full, complete versions on GOG. Yep, I, I did the complete versions as well. Actually, that probably <laughs> should have been on my list, but yeah. That's a good one. One, ah, here we go, The Secret of Monkey Island. This one is actually a bit interesting. I got the original game for free on the PC Gamer CD, which had 10 free classic games one month. My daughter and I played this played this to distraction for years, even though we didn't have sound working because we had Windows 98 at the time, which disabled audio in DOS games. We eventually discovered Scum VM, which allowed us to play it with sound for the first time, which set off another rash of replays. Then when the special edition came out, I bought that on Steam. Then GOG had this thing where... You, okay, yeah, this is what I was talking about. Then GOG had this thing where you could link your Steam account and have certain games in your Steam library, also in your GOG library. It was limited and terrible and, it, and seems to not have any more games happening anymore. And the games it did have are no more. So I guess that's pretty much over. But 
During that time, I also got the Secret of Monkey Island Special Edition put on my GOG library, so I can play it DRM-free now. That's not the end of the story, though. Someone made this way you can play the original game, but with the voice acting from the Special Edition. Uh, he says, you know, from Dominic Armato and the rest. And it works under Scum VM. That is now my favorite way to play Monkey Island 1 and 2. Scum VM also works on my phone, so I play Monkey Island sometimes while waiting for a customer to count a delivery. That is a staggering amount of gameplay from, I guess, technically only purchasing the game once, the special edition on Steam, uh, since my first copy was free. Oh, and since you're probably interested in this way of playing Monkey Island, here's a link. He sent me a link to it. Anyway, the, uh, the next game of the quarter is approaching, and it's going to be a roguelike. I wonder if I should break out Ragnarok the roguelike I remember most for this occasion. So we will supposedly hear this time whether if you decided whether you have decided on Rogue or Moria. So I guess this will either be the fall of Moria or Rogue Autumn. Either way, I'll give it a shot. I'll probably just slog how badly I do for 10 tries or some such. Roguelikes just aren't my thing, but I'll try. So until next time, still listening, Father Beast. Cool. Awesome. Thanks again, Father Beast. I'm glad... Uh, <clears throat> somebody else's seems to have a similar uh, Monkey Island obsession to my own. Yeah, one other person. Just... Okay. Next one is from Sven. Sven says, Hi, Jay and Rob. Here are my top nine uh, most brilliant design decisions made <clears throat> by the most brilliant programming studios programming the most brilliant games. Why top nine? Because that's f fucking enough. So there. Okay. Number nine. So for our brilliant RTS game, why don't we have fog of war for each map, but then let the AI see everything anyway, instead of actually trying to make this a fair game. Yep. Yep. Number eight. So why don't we give the player the impression that his decisions in our brilliant RPG really matter but then actually still have only this one single storyline with everything happening anyway, no matter what dialogue options the player chooses. Yep. Number seven. So for our brilliant hack and slash game, why don't we give the player the feeling that he has absolute control over the character, but then have these secret mechanisms in place so that when a boss decides he's going to hit the character, he is going to hit him no matter what. Number six. So why don't we go from 2D to 3D with our brilliant platformer, but then have the camera controls programmed by this one-eyed brainless chimp? So f number five, so for the brilliant sequel to our absolutely successful game, why don't we just change just about everything in terms of game style controls, general <laughs> idea, and every other aspect of the game to give the fan base something new? Number four, so why don't we give the final boss of our brilliant hack and slash game this extremely powerful attack that can neither be dodged nor avoided in any way, shape, or form, but then let him only use this attack constantly because that makes a whole lot of sense. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, sounds good. I don't see nothing wrong with that. Number three, so for our brilliant RTS game, uh, why don't we make the computer enemy stronger by just giving him about ten times the resources and make his armies ten times more powerful instead of wasting our time trying to program a decent AI. <laughs> Number two. So for our brilliant sports game series, why don't we have a sequel each year where nothing significant has changed or improved, but make people still having to buy it, 
by shutting down all the servers for last year's installment. Yep, there we go. Ooh, together, that sounds smart. Yeah, together with the absence of any way to play this game without logging onto our servers. Number one, so for our brilliant hack and slash game, why don't we give this uh, the player this extremely powerful upgrade for his weapon, but give him only three three shots for it so that he won't want to waste them on regular enemies and is saving them for the final boss and then make the final boss completely immune to that extremely powerful upgrade. What's wrong with that? The only one of these that I slightly, and I don't even disagree with it. These are, these are good, but the RTS one where you have a super strong enemy that has 10 times the resources and 10 times the army count. Like sometimes that can work. I feel like in, in like sometimes it's, it's fun just to see like, how long can I hold off an army that's 10 times bigger than mine? You know? Sure. Um, I think as long as it's like a variety thing, right? Like we have levels where it's competitive, but also we're talking about me AI for, especially for RTS. This is only now starting to get competitive, you know? Yeah. 30 years into the genre, 20, 20 years into the genre. Um, Let's see. Uh, seriously, I can't wrap my head around the fact that so many games were released where you just cannot understand how something so absolutely abysmal and atrocious could ever make a passage or beta testing. Here's an idea. If you're unable to program a decent game, don't do it. As for this game, as for this episode's top five games you bought the most number of times, I don't fully understand the idea behind it. Why should one buy a game more than once? Of course, it is possibly I understand something wrong here. By the way, are you sure that sentence is even correct grammatically? Shouldn't it just be games you bought the most often? I don't really give a fuck. Uh, but that is, <laughs> as it may, let me end this mail uh, by once more telling you how absolutely enjoyable it is to listen to your podcast. About two weeks ago, I finally completed the task of listening to every single to every single episode chronologically. Damn. Holy shit. And have already started over again from episode one. I think perhaps the most important aspect why I love your podcast so much is that everything is 100% natural and unscripted. Oh, no, it's all scripted. We script. <laughs> Adam and I, we do scripts for through. That's hey, that's an, yeah, through. yes, man. That's an insult to my script writing skills. Yeah. Do you think this is candid? You're not. <laughs> uh, where I lost myself now. Um. Uh, unscripted with other similar podcasts there are always these stage discussions similar to a sitcom where people go for scripted punchlines instead of talking naturally you never do something like that which is really refreshing thank you sven he says final request invite snes drunk or gaming jay more often keep everything as it is sven i actually have been watching a lot of uh snes drunk's content on youtube this week he does oh, some yeah. really good stuff. He does some really good stuff. I was dying watching some of his videos at work. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I, yeah, he's 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 fantastic. It's so funny. Yeah, Sven, thank you for the kind words. Um, yeah, and I mean, I guess I think we we I feel like this is a you know to be honest, this is a compliment that we get a lot, and I I guess I have to agree with that. I mean, our I feel like you're you and my Jay, our whole goal is just to kind of just be natural and not. Not worry about how we sound, but just 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 chat as it like as if we were just talking to each other more or less, right? Yeah, I mean there are times when Robert Robert and I usually jump and call for 20, 30 minutes and catch up and talk about UFC and a bunch of other topics, and it's like such a smooth transition for us to go into that into the podcast because generally it's just us talking in the same manner, but just different topics. So it's like really really easy for us to transition a lot of times. Yeah. Okay. Um. Next. Oh, here we go. 
Somebody we haven't heard from in a while. I'm happy to hear back from her. This is from Simon. Simon, so good to hear from you again. All right. Simon's email starts with, Dear Robert and Jamal, or aren't we doing the same? <laughs> Too bad. Uh, I haven't written an email in a while, despite there being some great top five topics lately that I've wanted to chip in on. I've been blaming it on life and business, but after being called out by Jay in the last episode, I figure I have no excuse this time. That, and I feel unsettingly qualified to comment on this top five due to my wanton consumerism resulting in an unhealthy habit of acquiring the same games too many times. So without further ado, all right. So without further ado, here are my top five games I've bought or otherwise come into possession of the, the most number of times. That actually probably would have been a better way to do this. Games we purchased or otherwise come into possession. That of. was how I but, phrased it on Twitter. But I was okay. just, for, for our purposes, I wanted to keep it not super wordy. So I figured it was, gotcha. you know, people would understand. Number five, Pokemon Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. This only counts as number five if you consider these these as different games. If you consider them all the same game, it should be number one. Because I have four copies of each. I imported the Japanese versions when they came out because this was way back before Pokemon games got simultaneously worldwide releases and I didn't want to wait close to a year to play them. Then I got the English version when they came out. Years later, I wanted to play them again but didn't want to either lose all my Pokemon or go to the effort of trading them all to other games. So I just bought a new copy. Holy shit. Yeah, they were $10 on eBay, so it wasn't a big deal. But then it turned out the new copies I bought were bootlegs, so I bought them all over again to get legit copies. Maybe the bootleg copies didn't count, and I should say I only have three copies of each. That's still kind of ridiculous. Actually, Robert and I stipulated if you have a bootleg copy, it does not count. And actually, it removes your overall list by one, so technically you only have two of each copy. So, <laughs> per the rules. Uh, let's see. Good one. Simon says, I only have three copies of each, but that's still kind of ridiculous. They're my favorite Pokemon games, but I have to admit that that was a bit of an overkill. While on the subject, I can't believe Jay didn't pick Pokemon as one of the series he'd like to see as an MMO. Too obvious, maybe? Um, this is something I've talked about before with, with different people. I can't understand how this would be done in a way that isn't obnoxiously repetitive. It doesn't get to the point where people ruin it. I, I feel like people playing an MMO that is a Pokemon style game would be just absolutely ruined by people. So I I've thought about it a lot. I just don't know how I would want to do it in a way that has a fun quote unquote leveling experience, some sort of end game content, maybe some competitive PVP. I, I just feel like for Pokemon games, it would be very hard to balance in a way that I would actually enjoy. I love the concept. I just can't see how you would actually act on it. Number four, Robert, you're going to love this. Donkey Kong Country Trilogy. My brother and I got the original Super Nintendo release of these as a Christmas present each year they came out and quickly became one of our favorite SNES games. Uh, years down the track, they were released on Game Boy Advance, and I got them all again. But by this point, our SNES had been moved down to our parents' holiday house, but I had the Game Boy Player to play GBA games on the GameCube, so I basically decided that decided that was now my makeshift Super Nintendo and played through the series again that way. It was probably a dumb way to do things since the GBA has a smaller screen resolution so the games really don't look like the Super Nintendo <laughs> games when you put them on TV, but hey, it was exciting at the time. Later, I got the series again on the Wii Virtual Console, which did a better job of emulating a Super Nintendo. Then I moved out. I left my Wii at my parents' place because my mom has a bunch of Just Dance games that she plays once a year or something. <laughs> I could play all my Wii discs on the Wii U, so I didn't really need the Wii anymore. But then I had the urge to play Donkey Kong Country series again. So what did I do? I played the GBA versions on the Game Boy Player again? No, of course not. I bought them all again on the the Wii U Virtual Console because wasting money my money on a fourth 
buying fourth copies of games is just the way I do things, apparently. Hell I also yeah. now I also now have Donkey Kong Country on the SNES Mini, so I have five copies of it and four copies of Donkey Kong Country 2 and 3. I have at <laughs> times been tempted to buy them again on the 3DS Virtual Console, but have resisted. Why? <laughs> Why? Number three, Super Mario Brothers Trilogy. A similar story to the Donkey Kong Country Trilogy. I never had a, a regular Nintendo, but we had all the Super Mario All-Stars on the Super Nintendo. So I had all these there. I then bought them on the Wii Virtual Console because I wanted to play the original NES versions, or at least that's the excuse I'm going with. Then I got them on the 3DS Virtual Console as well for some reason. I, I can't really remember why. I've barely played them on the 3DS, so I'm not really sure what motivated that purchase. I think they were on a scale on, a, on, a on scale. sale or something. <laughs> Um, and I'm a sucker for marketing, so I threw more money at Nintendo. Then I found myself missing the graphics of the Super Nintendo versions that I grew up with. But as mentioned, but as mentioned, my SNES wasn't readily available, so I bought the Wii re-release of Super Mario All Stars. So yes, I actually have two different releases of these games on the Wii. <laughs> I've since played all the Wii All Star versions more than the Wii Virtual Console versions. Oh so gosh. I don't really regret buying it, but still, this is a fine example of the stupidity of my financial decisions. I now have the, the NES Mini as well, which is what ranks this trilogy above Donkey Kong Country because that makes five copies of each game in the trilogy. That made my head spin when she was talking about the different Wii versions of it. Yeah, well, you're about to get one up, son. Number two, Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge. My Hell quest yeah. to every version of this game has resulted in me owning seven copies. Of it. <laughs> These are the DOS English version, the DOS German version, the Amiga, as I said, the Amiga version. Yeah. Uh, Macintosh, the PC Special Edition digital version, the PC Special Edition disc version, and the iOS Special Edition. Hell yeah. That sounds like a stupid number of copies to own. Just wait. You ready, Robert? I'm ready. Number one, The Secret of Monkey Island. Fuck you. I actually slightly fuck prefer you. Monkey Island. <laughs> fuck you. I <laughs> slightly prefer Monkey Island 2 as a game, but I own more copies of the first one due to the sheer fact that more versions exist. The ones I own are the DOS EGA 16 color version, the DOS VGA 256 color version English and German, so those are two different ones, DOS CD version, the Amiga version, Macintosh, Atari ST, Sega Mega CD Japanese, PC Special Edition digital version and disc version, and the iOS Special Holy Edition. Holy fuck. Yeah. That makes 11 copies. And that's not even all the versions that exist. I'm still in the hunt for the FM Towns version of both Monkey Island 1 and 2, but they are ridiculously expensive, particularly Monkey Island 2, which I once saw go for 77,500 yen. There's also the, the fuck US convert to. Let's find out. $715. Damn, okay. Uh, there's also the U.S. Sega CD version of Monkey Island 1, which tends to be more affordable, but has gone up in price recently, and I'm kicking myself for not buying it a few years ago when you can get a box copy for $40. Oh, so she's for the a record, legit collector. Yeah, 100,000%. Yeah. So like uh, For the record, <laughs> I don't own all the old systems that the different versions were released for, but they all run on the Scum VM, so you can play them easily on any modern computer. My reason for wanting to collect the different versions isn't just that I fail at financial planning, but because the graphics and music are different in each version, especially Monkey Island 1. The differences are more subtle in Monkey Island 2, but they're still there, and it's interesting to play through each version and notice what is unique about each one. I think that the fact that I have now purchased a combined total of 18 copies of Monkey Island 1 and 2 makes up for the fact that I originally played them using copies my, cons my cousins pirated for me, right? Right? 
now you lose three versions. You're down to 15. Uh, maybe I'm just seeking validation to justify my unhealthy spending habits. I hear limited run games is going to release collector's editions of Monkey Island 1 and 2 oh and 3 sometime soon. Save me. Well, I had considered going back through some of the recent top fives and commenting on those, but I've upheld my tradition of making this stupidly long email. Uh, and I also, in the process of writing it, have started wondering if I should reevaluate my life choices because I could probably have owned a two-bedroom home by now if I hadn't spent so much money buying the same games over and over again. So I shall leave it there. Keep up the good works, the good work, and don't use me as a role model, kids. Simon. Damn, Simon. That was honestly impressive. That's hilarious. All right, let's see what else we got. We got one or two. Oh, we got two more. Next one is from Chase, the night cleaner. Oh, that one, yeah. That, that Chase. Chase says, hello, gentlemen. Chase, the night cleaner with another down to the wire email for you. And I just want to say that I am not going to write a long email this time around. Sorry. But also remember when we used to just make up fake contests so I could mail you this like a million old, old strategy guys. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that the other day because uh, I was like putting up a book or something and, and uh, a couple of them were right next to where I was putting it. It has been a minute since those, hasn't it? You know, who else could use a minute to hope we forget about how much they keep fucking up? Blizzard Activision. <laughs> who has two thumbs and, ex and is excited to see how they screw up BlizzCon? This former night cleaner right here. Which brings me to my question of the day. What is one really bad thing you've done at work? <laughs> That might not reflect so well on you or your company. Oh, shit. As a night cleaner, I would sometimes find a secluded but comfy place. I want to see where this is going. To catch a few winks after blitzing through my daily duties. Okay. Sleeping on the job. Great for your health, but frowned upon by your managers. Jay, something that you done really bad at work? Something similar. I haven't necessarily slept on the job, uh, but I've definitely at times when I get overwhelmed, I will just find a, a unoccupied office and, you know, put up the young D and D and just uh, do whatever I need to do. Not nothing inappropriate, but just, you know, if I want to relax, if I just want to catch a breath for a few minutes, maybe. Uh -huh. Oh, sorry. Diego, I just kicked my dog. Uh, if I want that? to, I didn't mean to, he's, he's friggin' really hard to see in the dark. Uh, I, I freaking love this dog. Uh, yeah, I, I would tend to do that. I'm trying to think there's anything else to really frown upon, but that, that is probably the, the worst thing that I will admit to. It's like go to the office, just like go to a closet and just chill out for a minute? Yeah, just kick it for a little bit. Maybe, maybe work on something that is like not necessarily... I, I will say my one of my last jobs, I definitely I spent a lot of time on the clock working on getting another job. <laughs> <laughs> work on my resume, looking online, applying for jobs and stuff. So, Yeah, I don't think I've ever done anything particularly bad at a job like i don't feel like i've ever like made any huge screw up or sure anything major like that uh i'm trying to think though you drank on the job we used to work for eg <laughs> yeah i guess technically I'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding um no you know there was one time where um i was supposed to where we were uh it was like during a tournament you know and we were supposed mm -hmm. to be writing like quick summaries for the website of like what happened in our guys' matches. And it was one of those where the tournament was in fucking probably Korea. And uh, like, so I set an alarm to wake up to watch it, but I just slept through it. Cause it was like 4 AM or something like that, that I had to get up. Mm -hmm. So I didn't wake up till six and I totally missed everything that I was supposed to see. So I basically had to like go read on forums to see what people were saying about, 
what happened on the matches. And then I just pieced together like the, you know, the summary of the match based on what I read about other people saying. Yeah. At this time, VODs weren't readily available. just want to throw that out there. Well, a lot of them were, but for this particular uh, okay. tournament, they were not. Um, and so, yeah, I felt kind of bad about that, but did you, do you, I do, yeah, because okay. I basically was like, oh, yeah, this is what happened. I'm just, like, taking other people's word for it. But, um, but I mean, it wasn't a big deal. Probably nobody even read those anyways. Ouch. Um, Chase says, also, bonus question of the day. Did you have a favorite cereal growing up? I loved Kellogg's Cruncharoos <laughs> when they were around. Interesting. But have always enjoyed Just Right. I used to always like... um. Uh, just right. It was what I always also used to like as well. Yeah. I'm down for cinnamon toast crunch. Peanut butter crunch is probably my favorite. Captain crunch. Um, yeah, those are two strong picks. I would say I don't eat cereal anymore. No, me either. It's terrible for you. Like 99% of it is just absolutely terrible. For yeah. You. I love it. I eat it every once in a while, but like, I don't buy it regularly. If I do, it's like typically a very granola E type of cereal. Yeah, same dude. There are some delicious granola cereals yeah they're good yeah but yeah mine is just right also um and that's it for today gentlemen that's uh thanks as always for this amazing section of the show and for all that you do cheers and talk again soon chase the night cleaner thank you chase thank you. for your wonderful yeah. email as always hopefully you get to work blizzcon you can dress up as winnie the pooh and do some <laughs> night cleaning. save the day all right last one jay this is from uh this is from jeffrey all right <clears throat> Jeffrey says nothing. It's blank. Oh, it's at the top. I see. Uh, uh, Jeffrey says, "Hey guys, you know what I like about your podcasts more than hearing about games I have played, or especially, uh, or especially like I enjoy hearing about games that I have not played and types of games that I have absolutely no interest." I don't in. know what that sentence means. Yeah, uh, more th- uh, so. More than okay. Well, let's let's just see what he's saying. More than just hearing about games. Okay. It's games that... Okay, that makes more sense. All right. Uh, He goes on to say, it's fascinating to me. When Rob talks about point-and-click adventures, he often emphasizes how much he enjoys exploring new areas. It's some combination of the art, atmosphere, and world-building that I don't really pay attention to. I also enjoy that he will get really in-depth with stories that take a long time to develop and involve a lot of reading and using your own imagination. Like in Dwarf Fortress or some of the roguelike exploration games he plays, I really don't have time for a game that takes this long to develop, but when it's a five-minute story on a podcast, it's so fascinating. Likewise, Jay enjoys the, the community aspects of a lot of games he plays. This leads to some great stories, especially in regards to WoW, which is why I'm so bummed last week that he didn't talk about WoW at all during the current gaming subcast. Yeah, actually, I tr- actually avoided it for that. Um, I was I talked about it so much in the podcast that it was it was it, it's, it's not stagnant right now, but there's not a lot to talk about that I think is new or interesting that people would have a whole lot of, a whole lot to hear about. Um, I could talk about it today. There's a little bit of stuff I can talk about. Um. Uh, he says, what the hell, man? You get me hooked with an episode choked, uh, chocked full of WoW-centric stories and then cut me off cold turkey in the next episode. Bullshit. Yeah, but now you really want it and you're going to pay more money for it and it sets the market up and, you know, that's that's why I did that. Uh, it's funny because I've enjoyed MMOs a little bit in the past, mostly Diablo 2, but I hated doing co-op missions in EverQuest or City of Heroes and would prefer to just do solo. I really hated when people did mean-spirited shit and it would stick with me for the longest time and ruin my experience. 
Jay also talks about a lot about Endgame, but I've only really been interested in games that have a narrative structure and some kind of conclusion. I can't get into fighting games or RTSs because the, the competition doesn't keep me interested. I remember once you both talked about how you, you would replay battles in your mind and you would think about what you could have done better. It helps me to understand things from someone else's perspective. Um, he goes on to say, I hopped back into Final Fantasy Tactics again recently and immediately realized I messed up big time. I was playing several months ago and left, left off right before the, oh no, before the Gafgarian battle <laughs> in the square where they fake an execution to trap you. Oh it's pretty, man. It's one of the toughest battles. He, he That's says, the one where you're trapped battle. on one side of the gate, right? No, no. This no? is the execution. This is the one. This is the Gafgarian fight before this. This is the one where okay. you're completely outnumbered. Like if you have six guys, or if you have five guys, I think they have seven or eight. Okay. It's a really tough fight. They have height advantage. They have class advantage. They have weapon advantage. And Gafgarian is just so strong. Uh, yeah. Jeff says, it's a pretty tough battle. And I was going through my characters, not even sure what I was building toward or planning to do. It took several attempts and a couple random battles to level up. Oh, at least you at least you didn't save right before you got locked into that fight. So you at least had that so you could grind a little bit. Um, he says, it took several attempts and a couple random battles to level up jobs, but I got through it and I'm back on track. It's an incredible game, but the UI and some minor battle mechanic stuff really slows down the pace of play. I can, I can understand that. I also think the plot, with while sophisticated and fascinating, does get dinged a bit because of bad translation and being, uh, being, uh, being a bit convoluted. Yeah, those are the kind of things you have to take, um, take in strides with Square games. In certain instances, they do a great job of pacing, and then other times it gets overly complicated, and they try to expand on certain topics way too much in a yeah. game that could just be better if they simplified it. So I can understand that criticism. Uh, Jeff says, that led me down a path of thinking about convoluted plots. Final Fantasy VII is my second favorite game of all time, and the plot is pretty, da- the plot is pretty damn convoluted. That's an understatement for sure. Uh, that being said, I feel like there's an in- internal logic to everything, and if you spend enough time with it, it all makes sense. Dark Souls, another top top 10 game for me, has a very opaque plot with some things that could that seem convoluted or even contradictory, but likewise all make sense and in a satisfying way to me. On the other hand, I hate Final Fantasy VIII because it has an insane plot that I felt betrayed at, by at certain points. I agree with you there as well. Uh, it just seems unfair and I didn't want to make sense of it. Kind of the same thing for Metal Gear Solid 2. I was a huge fan of the previous game and enjoyed the gameplay of Metal Gear Solid 2 and most of the games overall until the ending the plot was ridiculously ludicrous that it ruined the game for me. If it's, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert. Isn't the intention of Metal Gear Solid to be kind of over the top and ridiculous? Yeah, definitely. Okay, just making sure. Uh, maybe it was supposed to be funny, but if so, it escaped me. Chrono Cross had a double whammy of being convoluted in an annoying way and trying to be funny, but just coming across as a slapstick in the bad way. Yeah, but Jeff, you got to remember the intro. The intro of the music is so good that the game is good. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> there are so many different aspects to games, duh, and it's funny... Uh, how one aspect of it can matter more to some people than others, and how a specific aspect of a game can ruin it or elevate it, it its subjective value to you. Yeah, that's a valid point. Uh, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter has graphics that I despise, especially the character models, but I still love that game, and even more so as time goes on and every time I replay. Final Fantasy IX is a good game that it, I like in most aspects, gameplay, world building, etc. But the character models turn me off so much that I can't take the plot seriously, and it's hard for me to enjoy that game. For me, Final Fantasy IX, I actually look at Final Fantasy IX as, as best leading into ten now. I think the, the character models, I, I can kind of understand where you're coming with that. The character models are a little bit wonky and cartoony, and it's kind of weird when you're trying to take this, this kind of, not kind of, but a very serious plot in place. I can understand that criticism of it, but it is a really, really well-rounded game. Anyway, sorry nobody cares about my specific takes on games from the past. Of course we do. Uh, but they do care about yours. So my glorious, fascinating, and, and ineffably? Is that how you said that? Uh, I wasn't. Oh, yeah, ineffably. 
Okay, humorous host, would you indulge me and let me know if there are any specific aspects of any games from your past that really sunk a game or made it shine like a beacon in your memory? Ooh, Chasey, stealing your your thing. He's asking us questions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's asking us questions. Any specific aspects of games from your past that really sunk a game or made it shine like a beacon in your memory? Like something that is so strong that either swayed it to be good or bad. Interesting. Um, man, I'm trying to think of something that, that's specific like that. Because, I mean, there are certain games where, like, combat is so good that the rest of it just doesn't even matter and I can play through it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example of that. I can't, I don't, I, I don't, I'm having trouble thinking of one that had a single aspect, you know, that did it for me. Um, you know, he mentioned mm-hmm. me talking about point-and-click adventure games, like... The Secret of Monkey Island, as well as Loom, both, I just, I love the graphics and the scenery and the music on those so much. But at, at the same time, Monkey Island had also good gameplay and good everything else. Um, uh, oh, I got one. Okay. Final Fantasy X-2 is a, a really strong shot at something different. Um, for those who haven't played, so Final Fantasy X is is a very serious game. It, it's got a very strong story to it. It's a very strong drama, and the ending is it's very serious. And when it finally closes out, Final Fantasy X II was the shot to have an all female cast in a setting that is more humorous and more fun, and not as serious until the later installments of the game. And for me, the gameplay is very fun. The outer world exploration is exciting. There's a lot of really strong aspects outside of combat and outside of the story that are that are pretty entertaining and keep you more or less going with the game. But the story is so convoluted and so bad and so childish at times that it makes the game, in my mind, bad. And every time I play it, I'm like, there's some really redeeming qualities to this game. But then when I start getting the story again and I get to some of the cringy one-liners that they do, it's just so rough that I, I can't do it. I play that, I've tried playing that game a bunch of different times and it's just really challenging for me one that i might say is kind of contradicting what he said about metal gear solid but like the convoluted nature of the story that kind of i kind of love that about it that's one of the big things that i like about metal gear solid not not necessarily the the convolutedness itself but the fact that it kind of leads itself because of how ridiculous the story is. It leads to all of these, uh, a whole lot of individual moments and scenes that no other game could have gotten to because no other game would have had a story that would be able to lead to this or that point. But this one does. And it results in certain moments that are very, very memorable and very unique and also like really funny or cool just because like they, they had like some crazy path to get there that, that nobody else would have tried to get to kind of, and just leads to some really funny moments. Um, yeah, but I don't know if I, I can't, I'm having like, there are definitely games that stand out very strongly to me for various reasons, but none that I can think of that stand out super strongly for just one reason. Like, you know, the Metal Gear Solid games, they're ridiculous and funny, but they're also, on for mo- for, for the most part, the gameplay is also very good. Um, I guess Loom would be one that maybe fits what he's saying. I, I love the scenery and the graphics and the music 
the gameplay is all right and the story's you know pretty good monkey island to me just does about just about everything right um one that i would be kind of tempted to say maybe is earthbound um you know just like the ridiculous nature and kind of off the wall nature of all of that is really what stands out about it but at the same time like the story itself is pretty good too um (laughs) yeah uh yeah i don't know i don't know what else besides that and like even stuff like you like he mentioned like dwarf fortress like i guess that's a good one but at the same time i really do kind of love the different kind of i i something about just the not necessarily the graphics but just like the way that the uh that that landscapes and things are sort of naturally generated just looks awesome but at the same time even if like the moment to moment gameplay on that one suffers a little bit, then there, there is like the overarching kind of story that is created throughout any given gameplay. That's, that's really awesome. So yeah, I don't know if I can think of one that really has just, just one thing that made it stand out to me. Cool. Uh, Jeff closes out by saying, thanks for indulging me later dudes. Jeff, Awesome email, Jeff. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was a good one. hundred percent. Okay, um, but to do current gaming subcast. You want to talk about WoW for a second since Jeff asked you sure. to? Yeah, I, there's actually not a whole lot to, to talk about at this point. Um, obviously, at max level, I started leveling a second character, which is always fun. It's always great to... I, I hit max level. I did a ton of instances. Um, I've been playing... So Paladins are considered sort of second-grade tanks. Uh, warriors are pretty much the only tanks that people take seriously. So playing a Paladin tank has been kind of fun. It's like uh, people basically assume that you're going to be absolute shit. Um, I've done very well. I'm extremely well-geared. I've done majority of dungeons, and I do a pretty damn good job of making sure groups are successful and quick etc etc um but yeah I, I did some rating so which is like the end game 40 man getting people in the same group um i watched a lot of people die to the internet memes that have been available for 10 years now i mean people died to anixia which is a meme i saw people die to the leroy room multiple times because people just, <laughs> for whatever reason just aren't paying attention uh which has been pretty fun uh, i've met some pretty cool people i've been a part of some some fun drama already because it's vanilla you know it's very community driven thing so there's always uh, drama involved um we are all the people that i play with are kill on site for a number of guilds on the opposing faction which is great so if we're ever seen it's just i'm dead like if <laughs> i ever get seen by these people it's like i don't even see them by the time that they're already on top of me and i'm like oh, oh really it's these guys. yeah and then of course you know if they kill me then i summon my friends and they come out and we bully the people and we emote them and you know a bunch of bunch of fun stuff like that um but what's been very exciting is i started leveling a second character now that my main character is sort of at a standstill for the time being um and i just always forget how much i enjoy leveling and this time leveling through has been much more enjoyable because i'm not feeling as pressured to rush which is great and i also don't have a lot of people uh with me so i don't have to either wait for them or go faster based on their pacing so i'm just getting to go at my own pacing get to explore different things i found certain quests that i've never seen before even though i play this game for as long as i have um i've had some some pretty fun adventures already doing some crazy shit but yeah, it's, it's been a very fun experience. I haven't been doing as much PvP lately, so I don't have any fun PvP stories other than just killing people and then teabagging them by sitting my character on top of their face repeatedly until <laughs> they either log out. Oh, I, I will say, one thing we do to people regularly, and I screenshot it a lot because it's freaking hilarious. So warlocks and shamans both have the ability to resurrect themselves upon death on a long cooldown. So essentially, if they die, they can choose to resurrect themselves or they can uh, choose to walk back to their body, right? 
Um, so what we do is when we know people are going to do this resurrection, uh, what we'll do is we'll act like we're all leaving. And then one of my friends is playing a stealth class. He'll walk away, walk around a corner and then stealth back on top of the body. And the second that they resurrect, he'll, he'll crowd control them. <laughs> oh, and, and then we'll come over and emote spam them and then kill them again. <laughs> and it, it's, it's gotta be like the worst feeling in the world. Cause essentially they get, they die twice and then they still have to walk back. So we've done that a bunch of times, which is been great i've gotten some very very friendly uh messages from opposing faction at times which is really crazy because you cannot make a character on opposing faction on the same server without buying a second account so people who come over and, and trash talk me they are spending 30 dollars a month just for the ability to trash talk me so that's always validating <laughs> that i'm doing something right but yeah awesome that's where we're at today it's been fun sounds fun yeah um i've got a couple that i'll talk about real quick um I'm still playing Octopath Traveler. Nothing oh, really, cool. yeah, nothing really new to say about that. I'm 45 hours in now. Good for you. Yeah, I'm having lots of fun with it still. I, I, I still think my original estimate that it seems like it's probably gonna be about 60 hours. That seems still okay. right. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that, but right around okay. probably what I'm expecting it to be. My only complaint at this point is that really fairly early on, like maybe around 15 or 20 hours. You get all of the um, spells that you're gonna have, like for like in all of the abilities. Basically, you you've unlocked all the abilities that there are. Okay. So there's not any progression after that. The only progression there, well, I mean, obviously you're all, you're still leveling and leveling, you know, sure. raising your stats. But the only thing you can do, like ability wise, after that is equip a secondary class and start unlocking the abilities for that that you've already unlocked with other people. And that's just so that a second person can have access to those. And that's really all there is. Um, I wish it was more kind of like, you know, Final Fantasy X, for instance, where you're unlocking stuff all the way up until the very end sure. of the game. Um, but that's not a deal breaker by any means. Obviously, I'm still playing. I, I play it like at least 30. I play it 30 minutes to an hour every single day. And okay. so I'm still having a ton of fun with it. The graphics continue to blow me away. The music. Oh, is, yeah. Right. Yeah. The music is is really just about as good as the graphics. Anytime I stop and just listen to one of the songs for a second, it's just they're just amazing. Um, and so yeah, so I'm still enjoying that. Uh, I so I also played Doki Doki Literature Club. You probably heard of this. It came out about two years ago, I think, and it's free on Steam. This is a uh, a visual novel, and so. It's like standard kind of visual novel where it's just a lot of stuff playing out in front of you and there's very limited um, like decision making here and there, but mostly you're just re clicking and reading dialogue. And it's like you, the, the, the story is that, that uh, this girl that you know that's like a friend of yours has kind of convinced you to join a literature club that she started at your high school. And so you do it and then you kind of start getting to know there's there's three other girls in the group it's and plus you and plus the girl that that sort of drug you into it in the first place and you start to kind of uh basically you start to kind of like sort of form a relationship with one of them it see it see it seems like that's flexible whoever you kind of want to form a relationship with it kind of goes oh, that way yeah. oh yeah and then um you kind of then then the whole basically the bulk of the game for a while is you just having conversations with them in your literature club. And then you go home and um, 
the the little bit of gameplay that's involved is mostly when you go home every night, then it's like, oh, okay, we're going to all write poems tonight and we're going to share them tomorrow. And then what you do is you don't actually write the poem in the game, but it'll say like, choose the words that you think uh, will impress like the girl that you're most interested in based on, based on what you know about their personalities. So it's like, it's kind of like you're writing a poem and it's like, oh, here's some words to choose from. And you don't know, even know what the larger poem is. You're just like, you just get a list of 20 words or 10 sure. or 20 words or something. It's like, all right, pick which one. Then you get another list. It's like, pitch, pick which one of these. And then you just kind of go on that and do that a few times until you've, until, you know, a certain number of times. And then uh, you're trying to just pick the ones that you think your girl will like the most. Um, when you, when you launch the game, there's something that says, uh, you know, warning, uh, you shouldn't play this game if you're bothered by disturbing images. So the game is very, very lighthearted, but you know, based on reading that, that something's going to go down at some point. Um, I won't, I'm not going to get into spoilers or anything like that. I'm not going to say anything else about what happens, but I will say that for me, the lead up was a little bit long to get to the payoff. Hmm. That's all I'll say. Uh, I, I think the, um, this game was like a huge hit when it came out, like I said, a year or two ago. And I'm not saying that it's not deserving of, of being a good hit. I, I think it definitely is. It, uh, I, I really respect the things that it does, but for me, it was just like a, a few hours of just reading, of just clicking through dialogue about your literature club and your poems and what she thought about this poem and you talking back to her and telling her what you thought about her poem and reading the next girl's poem. And then everybody just being like, like super drawn out stuff. It's like, Oh, I get to the literature club. Oh, Hey Rob, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. How about you? Oh, good. Okay. You want to read this? Yeah, sure. Oh, you know what? Actually, first I'm going to make some tea. You like tea, don't you? I always love tea to read a good book with. Okay. Now I'm going to go make some tea. You do this while I do that. Okay. I'm back with our tea. Let's go sit down. Blah, blah. It's like, I kind of wish it would just move a little faster and get from point A to point B a little bit quicker without so much in between. I think mm-hmm. a lot of that is to help sort of uh, establish a general feeling before you kind of get to where, you know, the stuff starts happening that it's all leading up to. But for me, it just took, I was, I was kind of bored, I'll say, in waiting through to get, to get through all the stuff to wait to see what, what ends up happening. Uh, but if it's something that you think you might be interested in, if it's something that you maybe been thinking about playing, I, I would say it's worth checking out and at least play it for a little while. And then if you maybe see, if you do get bored, then maybe just, you know, just stop. But for me, it, it took too long for the buildup. And then very quickly, uh, another actual, actually a similar game that I played. <laughs> I, I don't usually play this type of game. But and maybe maybe this maybe I played Doki Doki Literature Club because I had played this other one first. I played the KFC game. Uh, oh. I love you, Colonel Sanders, or something like that. Um, and it's only I think about two hours long, maybe an hour. Or, no, I think it's longer than an hour, probably about two hours. And I got about eighty percent of the way through with it. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> like, it's just. It's funny and it's ridiculous just how it's supposed to be. But for me, it just wasn't really that fun. It's just ridiculous dating, like falling in love with Colonel Sanders and trying to impress him while you're at the culinary college. 
and like dealing with culinary bullies at the culinary college. And I don't want to give too much away, but like that's, that's all there is to it really. And it's just kind of, you go through different events throughout the day and none of it was, the game just wasn't that fun. You know, it, they can't do anything super bold because you know, you don't, they, I feel like they can't do anything really controversial or super bold because it's, and at the end of the day, it is a corporate advertisement, yep. essentially. Even though I will say, it is kind of bold of them in the first place to make something like this. I, I give them a lot of credit for doing this. But the game itself, just there just isn't really a whole lot of... If you forget that this is a KFC game, even if you take into account, oh, ha, ha, this is kind of this is kind of funny and ridiculous, it just really wasn't a fun game to me. So, you know, again, it's free. Maybe worth just checking out just so you can kind of see what it is. But I really just didn't have much fun with it. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with Octopath Traveler. Oh, yeah. I like it. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, um, I don't know if I'll have it finished by the next episode. Well, hopefully I will. But I'd say by the one yeah, after that, I definitely should. <laughs> yeah. All right. Jay, I think we're good to go. Anything, you got anything else before we wrap this up? Mm. Mm. No. I think that was okay. Okay. Our game of the quarter is Rogue, the original, the 1980 computer game. Uh, again, you can find this at the Internet Archive, archive.org. You can also find it at playclassic.games. Both of those you can play it in the browser. Again, as I said, there are other places where you can download it, but you got to get DOSBox and install it and do all that stuff. Seems like it's going to be just easier to play it in a browser, even though the downside is you, the game, I think, is supposed to last a little while, so you're going to have to keep it running. Um... Aside from that, leave us all some reviews on iTunes. Tell all your friends to listen to us. Uh, send us your emails, mail at classicgamingpodcast.com. Our next top five is games that you wish you liked more. Um, I am uh, I'm, I'm King Octavius, at King Octavius on Twitter. You can follow us at Class Games Cast. Jay, any final words? No, you covered everything. All right, well, thank you so much for everybody for listening. We will see you guys in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs>